This is Jocko Podcast number 46 with Echo Charles and me, Jocko Willink. Good evening, Echo. Good evening. There is a little survival instinct. It's, it's very subtle. But I would notice it sometimes in a combat situation. When guys are thinking that enemy fire at any time could open up and kill them, you'd see some guys subconsciously. They just, they just try and make themselves a little bit of a smaller target. They just kind of slouch their backs down a little bit and they just kind of bow their head just a tad. It's not a it's not a bad thing to do. I don't think guys actually think about it. I don't think they consciously do it. I think it just kind of happens. I think it happens when you think you could get shot at any moment. And it, it's likely a good instinct to have. And when we first got to Ramadi... We were out on patrol and I saw one of my guys on a real patrol. It's my first time seeing this particular guy on a real patrol. And it was in the Malab district of Ramadi, which was just an enemy controlled cesspool of violence with threats everywhere. And as I saw this guy, He was standing straight up, just standing straight up. His head was held high. His weapon was at the ready. He was scanning. He was hunting. There was no slouch in his back. There was no lowering of his head. There was no fear apparent on his face or in his posture. He was just boldly facing the threat. Standing tall. Now you've heard me talk about some of my guys in task unit bruiser that I worried about. I just some of the guys I, I, I thought that they basically had too much courage, too much bravery, and and it just didn't seem like that kind of attitude was survivable day after day after day after bloody day in Ramadi. But somehow, some way, through some divine providence, this particular brave soul did survive and actually thrived in that environment in the Battle of Ramadi with Task Unit Bruiser. Now, Task Unit Bruiser was made up of two SEAL platoons, Charlie Platoon and Delta Platoon. And Charlie Platoon, we've talked about before, 
Leif Babin was the platoon commander. Tony Afratti, who's been on the podcast. BTF Tony, he was the platoon chief. And the lead sniper for Charlie Platoon was, was Chris Kyle. And in the other platoon, Delta Platoon, where Andrew Paul, who's also been on the podcast, he was the assistant platoon commander. And the point man and sniper, the lead point man and lead sniper for Delta Platoon was was that guy, was the guy that I just described walking through the literal valley of death with his head held high. And his name is Jeremiah Donnell. Also known as J.P. Donnell. That's what I always called him. And we have him as a guest on the podcast tonight. Now, when J.P. was in Tasking at Bruiser, he was a kid. When we, when we were in workup, I think he was 22 years old. When we deployed, he was 23 years old. And I love J.P. He was like a brother, and to be quite honest with you, he's like a little brother to me. And I loved his aggressiveness, and when we were going through workup, he would just, just straight up execute anything I told him to do. Anything. Like a, like a hyper-aggressive Terminator robot. I would look at him and I'd say, JP, take that room. Or JP, get on that high ground. Or JP, get those prisoners out of here. And he would just get after it and make it happen and just destroy or outmaneuver anything that was in his way. Like one, one time we were going through mount training, which is urban warfare. So we're in a kind of a fake city with buildings and all this. And there was a building across the street and we were taking massive paintball fire. Again, it's just training, but we're getting shot up with paintball. And in my mind, I'm thinking, okay, we're, we're, if this is real, we're getting killed. And I know that we need to get aggressive to stop this. And so I kind of give the command of, hey, we need to hit that building across the street. And it, like, as the last word is coming out of my mouth, I see JP just bust out of the door of the building we're in, go running across the street with his gun blazing, just caveman smash through the door of the target building, goes in there and I just see muzzle flash as he's just machine gunning people. And I thought to myself, okay, JP can bring it. At least he can bring it during training. Because courage against paintball in training is actually not that big of a deal at all. In fact, it's borderline meaningless, but it is an indication. Now, courage in sustained combat is another thing. And JP proved himself as a true warrior over and over and over again during the Battle of Ramadi. And I'm honored to have my brother, JP Donnell, on the podcast today. JP, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me here. And we have to start with trying to understand where you come from. <laughs> How much time do we have? 
um, where you grew up and yeah. and and all that. And it's pretty cool. I mean, I know I know your mom and dad, and I've actually grappled against your dad. <laughs> yeah, it's one of his highlights. He loves that. He talks about it all the time. Being He's able to a roll with strong, you. strong man, scary strong. Yeah, like well, and how old? So how old is he now? Um, he is. 54, 55. No kidding. Yeah. So 10 years ago, he was my age. Yeah. So when I grappled with him, he was my age. Yeah. And I thought he was all old. No. And right now, if you called me old, I'd be pissed. Yeah, I know you would be. So Mr. Donnell, I apologize. I thought you were <laughs> old back in the day. Nope. He grabbed a hold of my head. And, and, you, and you were my age that I am right now. Oh, that's crazy, isn't it? Yeah. Sorry to interrupt. Yeah, yeah no, that's crazy. true. So talk, talk. Tell us about where you come from. Uh, what was like growing up? All that stuff. Um, I had a good life. My parents are awesome. You know, um, very hard workers. Um, you know, grew up tied on money. You know, my my dad did construction and framing in the eighties, and my mom taught step aerobics. Not a lot of money there. Get so, but uh, they they just they constantly worked for our family. It was awesome. Now we you know every Sunday we we're at church. Um, you know, not having a lot of money to go out and do stuff, we'd go for, for drives. You know, that's what we did. Our family, we'd go for drives and just go, you know, see the, you know, we're in Northern California, Sacramento. Mm -hmm. Within 20 minutes, he can be in the foothills and it's just beautiful. Mm -hmm. We'd go to my grandparents' property. Um, you know, my dad's parents were a big, very big part of our, our life as well growing up. Uh, grandfather's old World War II vet was on the destroyer, on a destroyer. Um, my grandmother's amazing woman, you know, wakes up every morning still at 5 a.m. to pray for everybody in the family. Uh, they have five acres up in the foothills, the pasture, the horses. So for kids, it was awesome. Um, you know, brother and sister, um, my parents, you know, they didn't wait for having kids, you know, I had me and then, you know, I think it was like 15 or no, 17 months later, my brother comes and then 17 months later after that, my sister comes. So, you know, I'm, I'm a dad and you know, I have kids. Irish and, twins, they call that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it was just like, boom, boom, boom. Um, you know, awesome. You know, my brother and my sister, are like two of my closest best friends still, you know, um, we just always used to grow up playing Navy SEALs, you know. And uh, where'd you get? Okay, so going into the next yeah. question, which which I am always curious is, how did you hear about the teams? Um, actually, my brother saw something on TV. There's some special about the forming of the seals and the you know JFK's speech and all this stuff, and he had my parents record it, and we would watch that every morning that we could, you know. We're young, you know, we're trying to go to school. My brother's popping that in the v the VCR. And so every weekend we definitely watched it. And then we would, you know, dress up in camis and paint our faces and stuff that we got from old Army Navy surplus store or just from garage sales. And we would go play Navy SEALs, you know. And uh, we'd go up to my grandparents. as like a haven, you know. And it's, it's funny now, like, I didn't know what I was doing, but I used to, like, do makeup little ghillie suits. And I would have my parents drop me off at the front entrance of my grandparents' property. I'd wait until I got up to the house, and I'd say, hey, I want, I want to see if you can see me sneaking up there. I would try to stalk up to my grandparents' house. Good training. I mean, yeah. And, uh, you know, so that, you know, it was a really good life. You know, all my, all my aunts and uncles and cousins, you know, we're all really close and um, just really close family. You know, my uncle uh, 
one of my closest uncles, you know, he's a cop um, back where we grew up and, you know, he's still serving the community. He's a legit badass. And, you know, so I was surrounded by a lot of good people that didn't know anything other than working hard. Mm-hmm. Like you just have to work hard. There's no excuses for that. There's no handouts. Like you've just got to get after it. And, uh, and that's just kind of how I learned about the teams. And, you know, as you get older in high school, you kind of forget about that stuff, but yeah, it was a pretty good solid base. Did you, great life. Did you enlist right out of high school then? Yeah. Yeah. I was in, um, my senior year of high school. Uh, what didn't you break your leg or have some weird situation? I, I had my, I broke my hand. Broke your hand. Yeah. That's so it. my hand was in a cast. Um, How'd you do that? Well, you know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, I just I, think it's yeah. interesting that you just told this story of this kind of, uh, uh, you know, picture perfect childhood with all this goodness around you. But just, I'll just gonna straight up tell people. JP might crack a few people once in a while if they need it when he was a young kid. <laughs> yeah, definitely, definitely never went out looking for it and starting it. But if it was there, I want you know. Anyways, we had a party with my buddies, and uh, no, actually, we were just like kind of hanging out at the house, and I don't know, I happened some guys like yeah, showed up. The ones, anyways, got in a fight, broke my hand. Um, don't uh, you know, like a smart young man, don't go to the hospital that night. My hands like ballooning up. Well, you know, the next day we're going to go whitewater rafting. Sounds know? like a good so, plan. So, I mean, I can't not do that with all my friends. <laughs> so, I just put my hand in the river the whole time because I'm like, that's like ice, right? Mm-hmm. I get home. I thought my mom was going to just beat me. Mm-hmm. And she's a short, little, just thin, athletic woman. And I was just like terrified. You were afraid she was going to do some step aerobics on your head. <laughs> yes, exactly. She was going to get after it. Um, and uh, so, I, I go, you know, so she's like, yeah, we're, we're going to the hospital. And yeah. so we go there and they're like, yeah, you broke your knuckle, this bone and fractured the wrist. And I'm like, okay. So I get in a cast and of course my dad's pissed off, you know? And, um, he's just like, you know, just, you know, it's my senior year. I'm getting close to graduation mm-hmm. and there was no talk of college. Um, I played water polo my senior year and one of the JCs was, or my coach said, Hey, you know, if you go to this JC, UC Davis, you know, you could be going over and playing over there. I just knew college wasn't what I wanted to do. At the time, it just wasn't for me. I wasn't going to waste time or money doing something I just wasn't driven to do. And, um, you know, my dad's like, what are you going to do? What are you going to do with your life? And I was like, I don't know. I'll probably be a whitewater rafting guide and live up in, up in the mountains. And he's like, what are you going to do with your life? He's like, nothing wrong with that. But, you know, he's like, no. Like, you're, no. And because uh, one of my best friends did that, and mm-hmm. uh, which it was just cool, chill yes, lifestyle. Seems but like it seems cool, yeah. It would be great for the soul, right? Yeah. And uh, so anyways, my dad was like, what about the military? Like, what about being a Navy SEAL? You used to always talk about it. And at the time, all I could think about was just like the regular fleet Navy recruiters that would come to high school. And this was pre 9-11, so nobody's really very motivated. And, you know, they, they would come to the high school, but they never really engaged with the students or anything. So I was like... Uh, that's the Navy. I don't know. Go to work that next day. And because I'm in a cast, have me at the front register. And for the first time ever, I noticed across the street is a Navy recruiting office. I was like, oh, I'll go in there. So I went in there and of course like, Oh, what are you going to do? Blah, blah, blah. What are you here for? I was like, I was thinking about joining the Navy. You want to be a Navy SEAL. They all start laughing. I was like, check. <laughs> I was pissed. Like I was like real mad. They're like, well, 
you know, all the SEAL wannabes have to talk to Petty Officer so-and-so. And, yeah, that, dude, when he said the SEAL wannabe part, <laughs> I was fired up. And then he goes, and we can't do anything with your cast on. I'm like, all right, roger that. They're like, you know, if you want to come talk to him, mm-hmm. he'll be on th- Thursday. It was on Tuesday. So I go, go back to work. I'm just staring at the Navy recruiting office the whole time, just stewing. So I'm like, dude, I'm in good shape. You know, like I'm – I'm a very good athlete. Like I can do this and go back home and uh, tell my dad. My dad's like, "Hey, how you know how's work? Am I good?" I was like, "Hey, I'm joining the Navy and I can't go do anything for boot camp with this cast on." Like I don't know. Like you know, in my mind, I'm like, "I'm leaving for boot camp tomorrow," something like that, right? <laughs> and so he's like, "Cool, go start the bathtub, start soaking it. I'll get some tools out of the garage." <laughs> <laughs> And so my dad comes in there and he has like some like sheet metal shears and something else, uh, um, a sawzaw. Yeah. And we just got after it and we cut off my cast. Dude, I thought my mom was going to beat my dad. Like She was like, what? And of course I was like, yeah, I'm joining the Navy. I'm going to go be a Navy SEAL. So all of a sudden I cut off my cast and now her, her baby boy's leaving to, you know, go join the military. And she's my poor mom, you know? Mm-hmm. And so. I go back on Thursday. I walk in. They look at me. They look at my cast not being there. They're like, you need to talk to Petty Officer So-and-so. I'm like, all right, roger that. And so that just started the rest of the process. And, um, you know, a lot of rehab. My parents had a cafe. Um, they sold that. Um, so me and my dad could do construction together to spend as much time together as possible. And my mom was able to spend time with her mom that was passing away. And that's how I rehabbed my hand. And, uh, my dad would actually wrap my hand up in some of my old kickboxing wraps and boxing wraps, mm-hmm. tape it up, and then we would tape the hammer to my hand because I couldn't grip it. Like I could not yeah. grip anything. And, you know, that's what he did. Because I'd see my old dad go to work with a cast on and he would have to tape tools to his cast yeah, to work. I mean, your dad's not the kind of guy that's going to let broken limbs <laughs> stop him from getting a good day's work in. No, no, you just tape that tool to your body and make something happen. <laughs> So that's what he did with me. And it was awesome. And he knew, like, I wanted to go to Bud's and I was going to go to Bud's. And so he would push me to my absolute limit every day at work. Like, I mean, every day. I mean, I would be pissed, sometimes borderline crying because I was so mad. Not like tears of, like, you know, pain or whatever. But I was so mad at him. And he'd see it and he'd throttle back a little bit and he'd make me go. You know, some days, like, I'd come in to work hungover sometimes and he would be like hey i need you to go rent a, a 90 pound jackhammer there was no need for a 90 pound jackhammer yes there is it needs to jackhammer your brain back exactly into, back into and so for eight hours i would be jackhammering concrete with a 90 pound jackhammer while he was doing what he's doing and then i mean it was awesome though i mean he, he would push me to the absolute limit and my mom and him were awesome with communications and helping me out with stuff and it was good. And so then I, I went, I left September 5th, 2001. I uh, had a SEAL contract. Dang. I was in BUDS. I'm sorry, I was in boot camp when 9 11 happened. And, uh, you know, it was just weird. I was, I was so pissed. Did they tell you guys about it? Yeah, we were on lockdown. And they're like, hey, the nation's being attacked. We'll give you guys more info. And we're like, what? Of course, you have all the weak minded people in there that start crying. Like, I'm, I'm 18, right? Yeah. Like, barely 18. And there's just grown men crying. Like, I didn't sign up for this. I'm like, like getting fired up. Like, you need to shut up, sit down. Like, I'm just JP's like. He's looking for a battle axe at this point. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, how do I go to Bud's right now? Do I have to finish boot camp? Can I just go, you know? And, but yeah, so I was in boot camp when 9-11 happened. And I always felt like, 
Well, I didn't feel like I knew that being a Navy SEAL is what I needed to do and what I wanted to do and it's what God wanted me to do. And uh, just everything just fell into place. You know, it was pretty awesome. So so then you uh, go to Bud's. Yep. You, you went to Bud's right around the same time as Leif and Andrew Paul. I was one class behind them. They were class 241. I was class 242. And then you, but you ended up in SQT with those guys. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Awesome. Which is, which is the, which is like the training after you get through the basic SEAL training, buds, which is where you do push ups and all that stuff and do pull ups and have a boat on your head and all that stuff and a bunch of people quit. Then you go to something a little bit more advanced called SQT where you actually learn some SEAL skills. Yeah. And then you check into a team. And then you get, so you, you check into team three. Yep. Check into team three. And, knock out your first platoon as a new guy what was yeah. that like it was uh it was good it was cool you know i checked in team three and uh you know it was like hey we need some volunteers to go to a driving school it's an off-road hummer racing and navigation school and i was like how do i get my hand up fast <laughs> enough for that and it was just worked out great like i literally checked into the team Isn't the team's ridiculous it is i mean you're 18 years old and they're like hey we're gonna send you an off-road racing school for free, and we're gonna give you a bunch of money to go there, by yeah. the way, so you can buy good meals. Yeah, you're gonna go for a month. <laughs> two weeks straight is gonna be off road driving, racing, and two weeks gonna be navigation. I was like, I literally just, you know, I just come back from Kodiak, Alaska. We were doing our cold weather yeah. training. So I was up there, I was gone for a month, come back legitimately for a couple of days. And, you know, my girlfriend at the time was like, oh, you're back. I'm so happy. And then all of a sudden, I was like, hey, I'm leaving tomorrow. <laughs> and I mean, it was just like, I, I was just happy. You know, I was like, yes, this is awesome. This is legit. I'm in the teams. Like, mm -hmm. I'm getting to do stuff, you know? Yep. And um, I went out there. And there's and, a freaking war going on. Yeah. And I just wanted to be as well equipped as possible. And uh, one of my good bros, uh, Derek Benson, you know, he was uh, killed on Extortion 17. Mm -hmm. um, he's from Northern California as well. And he was one buds class ahead of me, so he had checked into team a little bit uh, to team three prior to me. We both went to that driving school together, awesome. and uh, that's where we just became like best friends, you know. So it was awesome. It was a good time out there, you know. Learned a lot, and, um, and you know, there's older team guys out there too, you know, that I got to yeah. actually interact with, and you know, just guys not from my platoon, so they weren't so hard on me because I was a new guy. But at the same time, like I was just learning the balance of the teams because I. I'm a, little, I'm a little overly nice and social and I like to talk to everybody and be everybody's friend. And when you're a new guy in the SEAL teams, that's usually not the best thing when you're like, Hey, how are you doing, buddy? You want to, you know, and they're like, shut up. Like, or like, why are you talking to me? And I'm like, cause we're going to be friends. <laughs> like we're going to war together. Let's be friends. You know? Yeah. So, it was, um, but it was cool. You know? And then, um, I come back and, um, then all of a sudden we're headed out on our first trip. And we're headed out to Shaw's to do shooting school. And um, I remember we're getting ready to fly out there. And I just see this big, huge Native American dude. I'm like, I hope he's in my platoon. <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm just like, you're drawn to like just awesome warrior looking guys, right? And he's just very stoic. And just, so I was like, dude, I really hope he's in my platoon. <laughs> and he was. It's my boy, Steve Chira. You know, he lives out in Vegas. And, um, you know, he's is an awesome old guy to have in the platoon, yeah. you know, and then the rest of the, the, the other guys in the platoon, um, you know, they're still active duty. So I, I'm not going to drop their names. Um, you know, my boy pepper was his nickname. He was like the perfect old guy to have. Cause he was so hard on you. Like 
you were just waiting for him to whoop your ass, but he also mentored and guided you and, yeah. and actually taught you stuff, you know? And it wasn't just, I'm going to hammer you because you're a new guy. He's like, I'm going to hammer you because you're a new guy, but show you what you need to be doing and why what you did was wrong. Um, so I was fired up, super fired up. So we go out to the Chaws, you know, your first trip, super overwhelming. You know, you're just a little yeah. nervous as it is. And they even told us, like, hey, this is usually a trip where you want it to be halfway or towards the end so you can get a solid grasp of what you're doing and grow. Um, but we got after it. It was awesome. Like I said, all the, you know, the older guys um, were solid. Uh, we had a really weak LPO, and um, he actually got fired on that trip. Mm-hmm. So I was a little just. You know, a little concerning to me at first. I'm like, okay, yeah, my it's first the, LPO, yeah. and then he's a complete turd. It's one of the uh, myths of oh. definitely of the SEAL teams mm-hmm. is when you're coming in, you think every guy is a hardened combat warrior. And then you get in and you look at some guys and you go, wait a second, that's not that's not who that's not who I was thinking I was going to be working with. Yeah. And of course, on the other end of the spectrum, you meet guys where you're like, I want to be like that guy. Mm-hmm. So. So you guys were you guys wrapped through that work up and yeah. you go on your first deployment. How was that first deployment? You went to Iraq on your first deployment, right? Um, yeah, well, for the second half. First half, went to Guam, mm-hmm. which was disheartening. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm like, dude, there's a war going on. Let's go to war. <laughs> oh, cool, you're going to go to Guam. But, you know, it's part of it. You know, you, it's just part of it, you know. Part of the mission. Part of the mission. One, but, you know. Yeah, again, military people deploy all over the world all the time to maintain stability, and that includes... All units of the military, even special operations, so SEALs, sometimes you get deployed to places where there's no, you know, really visible threat. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's not what SEALs generally want to do. Yeah. So we, we did training. We cross-trained with a couple different countries. Um, you know, some other platoon went to the PI. We were in Guam. You know, we went to Thailand to work with the Thai SEALs for nine days. And, I mean, it was cool getting to see how other countries do stuff. And it... Now that I look back at it, it did give me a much bigger picture, mm-hmm. you know, overview of stuff. But at the time, like, I'm not even 21. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm just wanting to get after it, you know. <laughs> and uh, I didn't uh, for the first half, but then we rip and we go to Iraq. I'm like, yes, going to Iraq. Well, I knew what we were headed over there to do, but I was hoping we, there'd be, you know, the ability to do a lot of different stuff and ended up doing uh, personal security um, uh, for some higher dignitaries over there during the elections and I mean, it, it was cool. You know, what, looking back now, you look at what you did and you put that on your resume. People are like, what? Wow, you did that? I'm like, to me, I was thinking, well, yeah, that sucked, you know, but it didn't. It was also very good. It's a very good learning experience. Um, and it was part of the mission. And the problem is when they had a, a, a gap in that protection, you know, some team guys came to do it and team guys do what they do and they just knocked it out of the park. So guess what? team guys now have the mission for that and um but it was cool you know we worked with uh some different units some marines and army guys and they were phenomenal over there as well and it was it was awesome to be able to learn from them you know guys have been on their you know a couple deployments already and the wars hasn't really even really kicked off and um it was good um you know and then our chief got fired (laughs) i was just like jeez um but the headshed was solid. Like our OIC, AOIC, who became our the Delta Platoon commander, mm-hmm. solid dudes, you know. And so we, they, we just had to weed out some of the weak ones. Right on. And that's the, the the nature of that mission, you know, is defense. And 
I don't want to be on defense ever, right? I won't be on offense. That's where I want to be. So it's a tough. It was a tough mission for the guys to mentor. I mean, of course, you you'd never know this from their from their professionalism, but no one was saying jumping up and down saying, "Hey, great, we we get to be on defense." Yeah, all the time. Yeah, for a long period of time. And the fact that the guys did perform so well and, and that we kept the mission, again, yeah. like you said, we kept the mission because we did a good job, not that we were jumping up and down excited about doing it because we don't even be on defense. We want to be on offense. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and yeah, and I look back, I'm like, you know, some of the things, and I did get to do a pretty cool thing there. Um, and then, I mean, we got to see all of Iraq. You know, mm-hmm. I got to go up to northern Iraq, up in Kurdistan. And oh yeah, because those dignitaries were traveling around. Well, he was Kurdish, and he was from oh, okay. from northern Iraq, and it was it's gorgeous up there. You yeah. know, well, we actually, you know, so I had a little come to Jesus talk with um, one of the older guys. To, you know, he was just kind of reeling me back in because I, I, yeah, I wasn't very happy. I was pissed that other guys were out doing direct actions, DAs, and I want to be doing that. And you know, my boy Pepper, you know, he talked to me and he sat me down. And he's like, "Man, this is big picture thing, you know, and this is part of it." He's like, "And you're a new guy." He's like, "I know you want to get after. I know you're aggressive, but." it's a good deal you know like yes it's not the ideal thing that we want to do he's like but this is not a bad deal you know we're in civilian clothes and fully armored suvs you know getting to travel around with this guy and he just was like you just need to change your mindset you know and he's like you need to stay focused because after this deployment it might be something completely different you know and he's like just stay the course stay focused and you know get the mission done and it was an awesome talk. I needed yeah. that. You know, I just needed that guidance and mentorship because I was young, you know, yeah, and for sure. Pepper's an older guy. He had had a good amount of experience and, um, you know, he just, he just knew what I needed to hear and, you know, roughed me up a little bit and <laughs> continued on, man. It was good. It was awesome. Learned a lot from it. So, yeah. So you get back from that deployment Yep. and this is when you start, you, this is when we formed up when we started working together in, yes, sir. in TU Bruiser. Yep. Again, you went to come s- back from de- or well, I come back from deployment, and then mm-hmm. all of a sudden I was like, "Hey, we we need snipers." I'm like, "How fast does my hand get up for this one?" You know, and uh, literally gone like again within a week, and uh, went through the NSW short course, uh, which you know we didn't get our sniper certificates from that because we didn't do everything. But mm-hmm. I didn't care. You're yeah, giving me sniper guns. You're you know, and I'm, I know how to use them. They're doped in. I get to kill savages. Okay, you know. Um, you know what's crazy is remember when they used to try and they had rules about how much we could be gone from home. Yeah, remember those days? Oh, we violated and, all and those. It, it was for, yes, we violated, <laughs> violated them. But then young guys in the teams and a lot of old guys too. They they literally are raising their hand for everything. Like, oh, yeah, get me out of here, man. Oh, you're gonna send me that school? Or you're gonna send me on another deployment? And it's weird because there's some people that you know a guy that's married and has a family. They they're they don't want to do that anymore, and they shouldn't have to. But they blanket apply the rules across the board to everybody. Because mm-hmm. I'll tell you what. When you're 19 years old and you're in the SEAL teams, you don't want to be at home any night of the week. You want to be either on deployment or getting trained and getting after it. And yeah. that's what's awesome. Yeah. But they, they blanket those rules, mm-hmm. which is a bummer. Yeah. I mean, I was just fired up. And to go be able to go to sniper school. Yeah. You know, like, because, um, you know. It's a big deal. It's a huge deal. It's a big deal, deal to get to go to sniper school. It's a huge deal. And one of the older guys in the platoon, he's still active. Uh, in the team, so I won't say his name, but he was one of my really good buddies, and I, I really looked up to him. We did an awesome mission together on that that first deployment. And oh, um, I know who you're talking about. 
Yeah. yeah. He's one of my favorite guys. The Badger. Yeah. The Badger. <laughs> yeah. And, um, you know, he's just, just an awesome guy. And he was a sniper, you know, and yeah. he would always talk to me about little things. And I was just, and even before I went, he was like teaching me stuff. And he's like, yeah, you know, this, this, this. So I don't know if he had a say in me going there or what, but I went, I was super excited. And then also Chris, you know, Chris was a mm -hmm. big influence as well as, you know, he's a successful sniper from on that, his second deployment, oh, my yeah. first deployment. Fallujah. Yeah. And you're just hearing about what he's doing in Fallujah. And I was like, please. Please, Lord, like I just want to do this so badly. And you hear Chris, you know, telling stories and hear other people telling stories about Chris, you know, and I actually, I even had a buddy who was back from Sacramento. He was a Marine who he was the Marine officer in charge of Chris and those guys over there. So he's telling me stories that were just like, I was like, what? You're like, dude, this is awesome. <laughs> and so anyways, go, we go through the short course. Um, it was, it was legit. It was in the summer out in the mountains, in the desert doing everything. Guys are blacking out on their stocks because it's 120 degrees and you're trying to do a four hour stock in a ghillie suit. And, but, uh, which was awesome because it prepared us for Ramadi. It's like, dude, the worst stuff, you know, you're just, okay. You know, and, um, you know, had a great time. The instructors were pretty solid, you know? And, um, and then all of a sudden it was like, cause we had a condensed workup. You know, yeah. They're like, hey, we got to get going. So normally what it would take 18 months, we had to condense into 11 months. And, uh, you know, all of a sudden then we're headed out to our desert training facility. Our desert training facility for our first trip. Yeah. yeah. And that's where that's where we met for the first we first time. met. Yeah. I had heard about this guy, Jocko. <laughs> and guys were fired up because we're like, dude, this guy is fired up. He's just another, you know, thing. It was just a you know, this bigger stoic guy that was professional who had a good amount of experience in the teams and who just wanted to get in the fight. And I was like, yes, <laughs> this is what we need. You know, it was pretty apparent when I first met you that you wanted to get in the fight too. <laughs> yeah. I might've been bandaged up a little bit from smashing out a car window. Yeah. But, uh, you know, yeah. Some, some idiots downtown and, um, and, and what, on my, what were you saying I was saying to you when, when I saw that? <laughs> so when you saw it, uh, you know, you're like, hey, I'm Jocko. I was like, I'm JP. You're like, I know who you are. And I was like, roger that. You know, it's kind of like, uh, okay. And uh, you're like, so what's up with the wrist? And I was like, I uh, got a couple stitches. And you're like, from what? <laughs> and I was like, I, you know, smashed out a car window with my elbow and I got caught. He's like, huh, you gonna stop doing that stupid shit? I'm like, yeah. He's like, you need to be training here with the guys and with us and focused on work up. And he's like, if you want to fight, we fight, you know? And I was like, Roger that, sir. And I was like, I'm going to go work out. <laughs> so, Cause I remember I was walking to the gym, you know, I just changed out the bandages. I had stitches and staples in my arm and I had all bandaged up and trying to get after it. I was going to go work out. And there I see the silverback gorilla. <laughs> So it was awesome. It was good. You know, just and you just set the precedence. You know, you set the tone for hey, yeah, it's cool to be aggressive and want to fight and get after it, but you do it in the right place and the right time. And don't forget, you know, at the end of the day, we're going to war to kill bad guys. That's the number one focus. Yeah. And it was just like that just kind of really opened up my eyes. So it was cool. Yeah, and that workup was that workup was awesome. We Dude, were, we were so excited. Time. Yeah, it was so much fun. I mean, just just the energy there. I mean, everyone was ready to get after it. And you you drove it in all of us, you know. I remember you coming up to me when we we're in between IADs and you're like, Hey, 
every time like someone gets a door, I want you to be the dude that's as loud as possible. You told me to go put to tape JP on the back of my helmet. You're like, I always want to be able to find you. <laughs> and um, you know, maybe you did, maybe you didn't, but you oh, no, put I did. I mean that's that's legit right there. Oh. So hey, I'll tell you right now. I say this all the time. Well, I should I shouldn't exact say I say this all the time, but there's people that have certain qualities, right? Certain qualities, whether they're leadership qualities, whether they're uh, skills at art or at speaking or at basketball, right? People have certain qualities. Yep. Well, you had a good ability. You, you had a great ability to get command of something and make something happen very quickly, right? And that's, it's A, because you're loud, you're loud, number one. Number two, you're aggressive. Number three, you can take whatever that problem is and like get it into some quick words. You can simplify it into something quickly and say it. Yeah. And as soon as I saw that you could do that, because we have to get people to f- perform fairly complex things in chaotic situations. But when I saw that you had that skill, I said, okay, he's a guy that I can utilize and that his platoon commander can utilize and that the, that the whole troop can utilize to handle such certain situations when there's some chaos going on and something needs to be straightened out. So what I want you to do is take some riggers tape and I want you to write JP on your helmet so whenever I'm looking around on my night vision or, or during the daytime and I see you just see a bunch of helmets that look the same, now I know it's JP. When I see him coming, I go, JP, make this happen right here. And JP can make it happen right there. <laughs> I still have that helmet with the tape. Boom. <laughs> Sitting in my garage on the shelf. That's Which awesome. kind of cool. That's um, awesome. Yeah. So we get, we get obviously, orders two weeks prior to deployment that we're going to Ramadi. We, yeah. we had thought we were going somewhere else. We thought we were going to Baghdad. We thought we were going to have kind of a cookie-cutter deployment of what the teams had been doing for a few years. And we find out two weeks before deployment that we're going to Ramadi. And how did you find out? Did I call? Did the Delta Platoon commander, did the chief call you? How did you find out we were going to Ramadi? Because you guys were all on leave. Um, you remember? I don't. I don't think they even told us until yeah, we got back. I, even told you guys. I mean, because I mean, it was all over the, the news what was going on oh, yeah. over there. You know, so I don't, you know, I don't think they told yeah, us. Yeah, I probably didn't tell. I, do, I know back. I told. You know the the leaders, yeah, and said, "Hey guys, stand by to get some." <laughs> yeah, yeah, because I remember we found out we we're on leave. We came home, came back to San Diego, and we we're getting to roll out. And that's when we found out where we're going, and we we're getting ready. And we had all had our families. <laughs> we had our families. You know, the day we're shipping off to say goodbye. And there's a couple guys like reading like news reports and articles about the area we're going to, and I'm like trying to like pull my mom away so she doesn't hear this you know what i mean and my dad's just like listening like getting fired up he's like yes and you know my dad you know you could tell as a father he's very excited for me my mom's terrified nervous but my dad was nervous as well rightfully so you know like your son's going off to war and combat but he was just it was just a mix of emotions for him and so he was like trying to hide like the nervousness by saying when are you leaving? Come on, we've been waiting. It's about time for you to go. Yeah, and I'm like, get out of here. Jeez. <laughs> I just remembered when I got told when they said they when when the commanding officer brought me in and he's like, and and he was trying to sell to me going to Ramadi instead of going to Baghdad. He, he's like proposing it. It's like, hey, you know, th- this could be good. And inside, I'm like, oh my god, I'm like so. And and I remembered I bargained for something. There's something. There's something that I said. Well. 
well, we want this. If we can do this, then it, then we can make it happen. I think it was gear, some kind of gear swap we did. Yeah. But but anyways, I remember them trying to sell it to me, and I knew I was in such a good position because it's like someone trying to sell you free money. You know what I mean? <laughs> I was like, oh, you want a scooter, money? Okay, uh, let me think about that for a second. And inside, I'm going, don't don't blow it. Just act cool. Yeah, poker face. Don't get poker too face. excited. Just you know, maybe you might be able to leverage something. Just relax inside. I'm like okay, you know, I think we can make it happen. I, I need a little bit of this. I might need a couple more support personnel out there to give us a hand getting acclimated and getting the turnover done. But if I can get five or six more personnel, I'm just I'm just gathering logistics support for my troop. <laughs> That's what I was bargaining for. So awesome. I was gathering logistics tr- support for the troop, getting more CBs to come help us and more intel guys. I'm like, as long as we can have this and that. And he's like, yeah, I'll, I'll talk to them. We'll see if we can make it happen. And it happened. Yeah. Um. The CEO was awesome, solid dude. Yeah, yeah, so solid. I remember, you know, because I got in trouble when I went home on leave during Christmas time. Am I seeing some kind of a pattern of trouble here? (laughs) (laughs) Or, you know, if you want to say that, you know what? But I just one of my best friends didn't have the outlets. One of my best friends in the SEAL team when I was younger, right? We were the same way. We were maniacs, and one time he got in really big trouble, and. The, the platoon commander, who's one of my favorite guys and a guy that inspired me yeah. to go the officer route because he was a prior enlisted guy and he was an awesome guy and he was made the platoon awesome for us. That guy, so I'm, I'm thinking he's gonna, he must be so angry at my buddy that got in big trouble, like borderline international incident. Hmm. And I kind of said, hey, you know, are, are you mad at him for, for what happened or what do you think of this? And he goes, he said something along the lines of, he's a warrior. You can't stop these things from happening. It's it's in your guys' blood. We have to just deal with it the best we can. Yeah, and you and you guys did. You know, it that's, was, what I always, that's what was always my attitude. You know, I look back now, I'm 33, and I'm like, man. But, you know, you learn from your mistakes. And you make sure you don't, you know, pave them again. I got, you know, I got, I was up in Reno. I got arrested for, um, you know, like, Older guy started a fight with me and my friends, and I was with non-team guy friends. They're super passive guys, and he's an older, like much bigger guy, you know. And mm-hmm. um, you know, was coming at me. He had a bottle on his hand. It was just, yeah. Anyways, do some damage to him. He ends up in the hospital for a long time. Mm-hmm. I get rolled up. I get arrested. I go there. They're looking through my wallet. They're like security clearance, SEAL Team Three, and I'm like, yeah. And the cop goes, Why didn't you tell me this? When we're out there, he's like, I would have dropped you off around the corner. I was like, well, I didn't want, you know, I'm not going to try to pull that card. I made a mistake. He's like, well, you're here now. So we have to deal with it. So I go home. I remember I, and I tell uh, the LPO about it. He's like, all right, we got to go tell chief. And chief's like, all right, we got to go tell the OIC. We got to go tell the command master chief, command master chief, you know, and ops master chief was press on and bro. Mm-hmm. Two phenomenal leaders. I mean, just Absolutely. couldn't get better, higher enlisted leaders ever, right? Yep. So, of course, you know, they're hearing the story and they kind of like give me the rundown. And then, you know, Master Chief Press on goes, JP, you think you're the first team guy to get arrested for fighting? <laughs> Let me tell you some stories. <laughs> and he just kind of, he's like, hey, we just got, we got to fix this. You know what I mean? He's like, obviously, it was clearly self defense. And he's like, whatever you need from us. Yeah. That was good. Cool. Whatever. What I, do is I make the mistake is I go back home on Christmas leave shortly after that and I got a wet and reckless. Mm-hmm. So not a DUI, but you know, whatever, close enough. I was an idiot. 
and um you know i'm super mad you know i'm, I'm only 22 you know i'm yeah. not even 23 yet and um you know i'm we were crushing the work up so it was my i was built i felt even better about life and everything else like that and I, we know we're going to war and you know i just made a mistake and um you know pay the consequences you know i come home and i'm like oh dude what do i do i'm like they're gonna kill me i was like i'm i'm possibly not gonna deploy and i remember i broke down like i just broke down like emotionally i'm mm -hmm. like i just threw everything away you know like for what you know and i was really upset and i went and told the badger mm -hmm. you know about it first i was like hey man i, I need some advice and i was like you know i think i can take leave and take care of this on my own and everything he goes yeah i think we can he's like but if not you know that's a big risk you know he's like dude we have solid leadership right now now is the time that you just get your butt kicked for this and just deal with it you know he's like dude just take what comes at you and i'm like all right bro you know i was like sick to my stomach i was like well i don't know how this is going to turn out we go to the lpl dude he's like you i'm like right yep right that go to the chief chief same thing i'm like mm. go aoic it was andrew paul and Andrew Paul's like, JP, really? <laughs> like, he was disappointed. What hurt is how disappointed he was. Everyone was disappointed. Like, you're better than that. And I was, you know? And then, so we go back over there to go talk to Master Chief Yarbrough and Press On. And I was just like, I was so ashamed. Like, I I was just, you know, I just got the chills. I was just, I was mm -hmm. disgusted myself, you know? So, you know, they got there and they're like, all right, well, we're going to have a Chiefs Review Board. See so if you gotta keep your trident and stay in the teams. I was just like, I try not to throw up right yeah. then and there. I'm like, like go back to platoon space. Like, how do you even function the rest of the day after that? Like, I was like, so I'm looking at the badger. I'm like, maybe we shouldn't have said this. You know what I mean? I was like, dude. So, anyways, um, long story short, they uh, had the Chiefs review board, and luckily, they were doing remodeling over at the compound. So I was two rooms over but the ceilings were open and vaulted. Oh, yeah, that's right. So I could hear them all talking about me beforehand. And, of course, he had a bunch of, like, it was all the chiefs in the command. And, you know, there were some chiefs there that, you know, were support personnel. They're like, screw this kid. Let's blah, blah, blah. Like, you know, blah, blah. And then, like, Yarbrough goes, hold, hold up. Yeah. Like, the kid's a good kid. I, I was with him at SQT. You know, he made a mistake. And so, like, I remember him taking my back because he's like, oh, really? Let's get rid. And he, start, he starts pulling up, like, other guys that had made mistakes, he's like, well, what about when he did this? And what about when he did that? He's like, no, he's good. And press on's like, nope, we're keeping them. We're going to crush them, but we're keeping them. So I go in there and luckily I'd heard that. And so I went in there and just, you know, faced the man and, you know, the whole rest of workup, you know, I was on restriction. You know, we're on the road. We're awesome trips. We're going to Vegas for a work trip. And guess who has a curfew? <laughs> did JP. you have a curfew during that? Oh, I, I do remember that. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Like, if I was to go grab food, I had to be back within a certain time frame. Yeah. You're like, oh, wait, actually, guess what? They serve food here, so you don't need to leave the building. <laughs> you can get room service because you don't need to be sitting down at the uh, the tables. And I'm like, yeah, you know, but whatever. You know, I, I dealt it's with good. It. It's good that you had that kind of sense of fear in there. I mean, just yeah. looking back, I can tell you right now, you could have, like, you could have committed a broad series of crimes against humanity and I would have still taken you on deployment. <laughs> and I basically told bro that for sure. Like, Hey, I don't give a shit. Yeah. You know, it's just, 
I was very lucky and blessed. We were blessed to have, you know, good leaders like you and and Bro and, and Press on and those guys that were just like, hey man, guys make mistakes. We're gonna we're gonna fix it. You know, yeah. it's not like you guys are like, oh no big deal. You're like, oh cool. Hey, yeah, you gotta learn. You gotta learn from it. You know, and um, you know, I definitely learned from it. And the CEO was super cool. And the CEO stood by what you guys stood, and that, that said a lot to me about him as a leader as well because he trusted you guys' judgment. Yeah. And I remember he comes out like towards the end of our deployment when we be getting it. We've been getting it the whole time. He's like, man, I'm really glad I listened to them and kept you around. <laughs> like, so it was just awesome. It all kind of turned around because it was basically you guys were like, hey, we're going to hold it where it's at, and we'll see how he does on deployment. And when he comes back, we'll, we'll hammer him and if we need to. So Yeah. All right. So we go on deployment. Yep. And like you said, like people are reading the newspaper. I mean, I knew because I was reading all the intel. I mean, yeah. I was totally read in. And was trying to explain to you guys and telling you guys stand by to get some we show up there and do some do some you know basically the forces almost instantly we divide into five different teams and we end up doing big operation over in eastern ramadi and that kind of set the tone and, and carved out a little space for a certain crew and actually if you in the retirement speech that I gave you know I, I talk about hey we're gonna send some guys over here if you want to go volunteer you, you got to put your name on this list and of course everyone put their name on the list which made it go back to the original plan which was the Delta platoon, platoon commander saying you know these are the guys I'll take I need whatever eight guys I'll take these guys yeah. and you know had a little make sure that we weren't making anything too unbalanced but obviously Obviously, he wanted you with him, and um, so you guys roll out to Corregidor with the first of the 506 Band of Brothers. Yeah, those guys are phenomenal. Yeah. Love those guys. Talk about Full Metal Jacket. <clears throat> a blown out old school yeah i think it was old school or yeah, like a university like a university i think old university just completely blown out like walls i mean there's more bags of sand than concrete i think they're oh, hold, sure. holding the place up um you know we had the army and marines living with us in there and uh i remember we show up and we're just like dude yeah when we for when when i went there for that big first kickoff yeah that place was just dirt floors yeah. mosquitoes everywhere uh -huh. bugs everywhere yeah i don't even think there was ac no, there wasn't. It was like one dangling light in every room. Yeah, that was hard living. <laughs> but that was all. But that was all one big room. They had like they had like a sheet of plywood that divided the big room that yeah. we all ended up eventually like building our own rooms into. Yeah, <clears throat> I remember getting over there and you know guys were like kind of. I, I was so fired up. I'm like, yes, I'm in. I'm in it. Like this is horrible. It's horrible <laughs> because there's a fight going on right here. You know what I mean? Like the nice built up bases. There's not a fight there. No. Where it's like horrible, you know there's a fight. I, I was just super excited. Yeah, Corregidor was awesome. And there was guys with the first of the 506. That, that place was getting mortared every day. That place was getting mm -hmm. attacked every day. I mean, remember when we first went there and it's like, I said, um, guys are like, can we, can we go up on the walls? Can our snipers go up on the walls and like defend? And I was like, um, yes. And we, and we did. <laughs> yeah, you guys went up and started whacking people almost yeah, immediately. It was awesome. <laughs> you didn't even have to leave base to kill guys. Yeah. What, what kind of a joy is that right there? <laughs> it's like the best Christmas present ever. But it was also the same time. It's like if you want to go grab chow, you have to be in full body armor, helmet, yeah. and your gun because yeah. your gun got constantly um, attacked. You know, there's yeah. a couple times you hear, 
doom, doom, and you just hear the incoming mortars, and you're sprinting to try to either get, you're like, when you're in the middle, you're like, do I go back? Do I go to the chow hall? Are they aiming for our building this time? You know, I remember this one time I was going out to take a shower. Decisions, um, decisions, I know, decisions. Just make one and go. And um, <laughs> this was a complete, I had my angels, God thing. And we come back from an op and guys are smoked, right? And most guys are just like, I'm just going to get into bed, like my baby wipe shower and just lay down. <laughs> I just wanted to actually just go take a shower, right? And so the Army guys are awesome. They gave us the code so we could use it on our times when we came back, you know, instead of the standard scheduled Army shower times. Yep. So I go out there. I get to the shower tent. I'm like, oh, I forgot my loofah sponge, you know, so I can actually, like, try to, like, wash with my soap and all, Hardcore everything. Hardcore J.P. Dinell. In combat, you know what you got to bring to combat with you? You got to bring your loofah sponge. That's what I'm talking you gotta, about. You got you to clean the body. You know what I mean? So anyway, so I go back, and um, as I'm walking back up the steps to get into the thing, shower tent gets hit by three oh, mortars. And I was, yeah, destroyed, gone. Like I was just like, okay. That was, that, that was the shower tent that was like 20 meters from Full Metal Jacket, right? Yeah. yeah. I legitimately was just like in there, and I was like, uh, I remember I was like, oh, I'll just put the soap in my hands. And I was like, nope. That was complete. I had my angels. You know, God was like, no, you need to get out of here. <laughs> and so I walk back and I'm literally taking the last step like into that little dark hallway. Mm-hmm. And, and I was like, okay, where's my baby wipes? So like, let's go get some baby. And that's what was so crazy is like something like that. It was just like, okay, shit, now I'm pissed. You know, and so baby wiped it up, and f- until we got that fix, we were doing bottle of water showers. You know, you poke holes in the top of a water mm-hmm. bottle, and your buddy squeezes it over you, and that's how we showered. Yeah. You know, it was, yeah. it was awesome. Yeah, <laughs> and that's <laughs> yeah. That, that's another thing. The uh, the well, the the army guys from the first of five hundred six. I mean, obviously they're living that way too. Yeah. But every day you'd see them, they're always in the squared away uniforms, always you know shaving every day, yep. no slack, no fucking slack whatsoever exactly. for the first of five hundred six. And yeah. and that was the attitude that you guys went over with. Yeah, you we, know, I actually, made, I made sure our guys had shaved heads because yep. I was the acting LPO, <laughs> uh, the Badger was the acting chief, and uh, we, we, I mean, we rocked the army camis. Yeah, we put you, you know? guys in we army put uniforms. In army camis. Um, and we all had shaved heads and we shaved every day. You know, we just looked like the army. I mean, because who cares about a haircut and a shave? You know, unless I needed to have a beard, which I mean, I have a red beard. So who am I blending in with? Russians or Irish? You know what I mean? Like, I'm in Iraq. You know what I mean? Like, bright blue eyes and a red beard. Oh, you must be a local. You know, like, so we're so, being attacked by leprechauns. Yeah. Giant leprechauns. Giant tattooed leprechauns. <laughs> and so, um, you know, we just shaved our heads and got after it. And uh, I mean, dude, the. You know, like why? That doesn't matter. That doesn't make you a less effective, you know, either way, you know, and you could tilt that, you know, you could flip side that the other way. It's like, hey, well, if I have long hair and a beard, what does that matter? It really doesn't. But it's the Army's battle space. And we respected and loved those guys. They were phenomenal guys to work for. So why are we going to do something that is just to piss them off? You know, why? Who cares? Like, so we just shaved and, you know, had her kept her heads shaved, which was awesome actually, because mm-hmm. your your helmet stuck to that like a little Brillo pad and it didn't move around a lot. And, uh, you know, and then the Marines that were with us, the Anglo guys, yeah. those phenomenal guys, you know, they started doing the same thing. They're shaving their heads. And my boy Nick Hobbs, you know, he was with us. He's out. He's an awesome stud Marine. And 
you know, we always joke about, he's like, man, like, he's like, I just remember like, just, we all like, just would hang out in our free time. And he's like, you come really close with somebody when they're standing in their like boxer briefs and you're having to pour water over them for them to shower. And we're up on the rooftop, right? Like doing bottles of water shower. And it's just, just funny, man. Like I, I miss those days. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And just so everybody knows now, I mean, just to kind of give an overview, if you don't know what the, what the overall operations that were taking place were pushing in the the Camp Corregidor, which we've been talking about, which is where this building full metal jacket was, was on Eastern Ramadi. And the first of the 506 was responsible for the Eastern part of Ramadi, the really the Southeastern and then some other sections, but where the SEAL platoon was, or the SEAL squad now is basically a smaller group was working was inside this area called the Malab district. And as the first of, First, the 506 would do big clearance operations. You guys would go out and primarily do sniper overwatch. Although you, of course, you did you did other stuff. You did clearances and all that. But the primary mission, thank God, you went to sniper school because yeah. you were the lead sniper and you and you did a lot of uh, a lot of sniper work over there. Yeah, it was awesome. We got um, just right place, right time. You know, it was just it, that's all I can really explain. You yeah. know, now now we worked to get work. And we, you know, we pushed the envelope constantly, but I mean, we're no better than anybody over there. Just, we're just hungry. You know, we, we wanted it so bad. And I remember when we showed up there, um, the Colonel, you know, won't say his name, but, um, he was awesome. You know, I mean, I wish he was running for president. Absolutely. I mean, I would, I would vote for him and obviously I would vote for him instantly. Yeah. Uh, He was just unbelievable. Go on the campaign trail. Yeah. Like in a heartbeat. No doubt about it. Anyways. Um, awesome guy. And you know, you talk about communication from leadership. You talk about a guy that say his name, by the way, he's a general now. He, it's it's very obvious who it is. The commander of the first, the five hundred six during the battle of Ramadi. Okay, a guy by the name of Ronald Clark. Ron Clark was just an unbelievable leader, and uh, yeah, just yeah. an unbelievable leader. Yeah, Ronald Clark, twenty twenty. Yeah, but um, awesome, awesome guy. But he, you know, he had the ability to communicate with us to where we wanted to help him. Of course, and he was just like, "Hey guys, I need help." You know, and that's one thing I learned later on in life is like when I was doing sales, I'm like, people don't want to be helped, but they want to help. And he knew that, you know, and so he's like, guys, I need help. We're losing guys every day. This is what we're going on. Hey, here's your ROEs. Please go get some. And we're like, oh, yes, <laughs> like this is it. And we had that connection with them. And, you know, just being able to go out and work for them was phenomenal. Yeah. And just, yeah. it was awesome. I mean, the, uh, the Delta platoon commander formed such a good relationship with those guys and was and you know my relationship with him yeah i mean he was um just solid dude and wanted to get after it yes (laughs) wanted to get after it and wanted to get after it as much as humanly possible yeah and then some and then a little bit more yeah and with a little bit more on top of that (laughs) so yeah it was great great combination and you actually you did a lot of those operations too so yeah kind of the the, Um, the standard what we called standard it wasn't that standard at the time daytime presence patrols get some Mm -hmm. you know and when i did that i carried the mark 46 Mm -hmm. oh five five six belt fed action and it was awesome you know you have 200 rounds on the gun and i threw another 800 rounds on my front Mm-hmm. And I had another 200 in the back, so 1,200 rounds with body armor, grenades, 
smokes water and that's when i was ta- when i was telling that story in the beginning it's like one of those first big operations we did out there and I, that's yeah. where that's where that's from that's where that memory's from is seeing you walking and being okay guess all those way that he acted during training with paintball he's gonna act the same way right here yeah. with his life on the line either walked uh it was cool because i either walked uh point mm-hmm. or rear security because i was a machine gunner you know and you want a machine gun up front and you want one in the back because they're coming from the yeah. rear I just remember that you know first push that you were talking about, the first real firefight I got into, just cut these dudes in half, mm-hmm. and it was awesome. <laughs> and uh, you know, it was, you know, everything the colonel told us was going to happen happened. Hey, usually within this amount of time frame, they yep. start coming out. Here's what they do: they come around the corner, then they distract you, and they do this, and and this is when the attack happens. And like, like clockwork. I mean, these savages were just coming at us exactly how we were told it was going to come at us. Yeah. And that I think that helped us gain even more respect for the army that we worked for because they could have just been like, hey, go get some. But they're like, hey, go get some and come back so yeah. you can continue getting some. Yeah, no, the, the turnover that we would get from those guys was phenomenal. And the professionalism that they had, like what you're talking about, yeah. like the, the Charlie Company commander, yeah, Crazy Joe. Yeah. And, and, he, and he was freaking awesome. And... One of the things that he would do, and this is when I said, oh, this guy's on the next level. He's doing something that I, that I never even thought of. Every time he went on patrol in the Malab, he was recording it. He was video recording it. And then he'd come back and review every street corner, every building, every signpost. He knew everything about it. He yeah. knew that city. And he, he took his job like so seriously. Yeah. It, was, it was phenomenal. I remember the Delta Platoon commander had told me that he was doing that or we knew that. And it really emphasized us to hey we need to know this area just as well and it i mean it didn't take long i'm not trying to be cocky or anything but within a couple weeks like i didn't need my map like i knew that city you know what i mean like now i had the map on me too so if i needed to look at it and be like oh i'm at this building and hey we're pushing over here so i can scan real quick and go but like i i knew exactly where i was at all times because and those guys did, and we needed to know that. You can't have a delay in communication when you're in a firefight, you yeah. know, or you know, or if guys are down, you know. And there's just everyone, you know, just hearing over the radio when Cowie got shot. Mm-hmm. Just like I'll never forget that, mm-hmm. you know, and knowing exactly where they're at. And there's a little confusion leaving, and I was like, "No, we need to go this way." I legitimately just started running that way, you know, because you just hear Mikey opening up and the Badgers trying to pull him out. And you just, your boys are in a firefight and you just don't know what's going to happen. And we're trying to get there as fast as we could. And it was just like, we got, I mean, we legitimately got there as fast as we could. And it was because we knew we had to be prepared, you know, and could you imagine if we didn't know where exactly they were or where we were and you're just sitting there like trying to listen to a map, you know, read a mm. map when you hear your boy over the radio, like, Hey, I've been shot, been shot. And you just hear a huge machine gun just going off. And you're just like, Whew. like, but dude, the boys we were with Delta platoon commander, deep breath, JP, where are we at? Uh, you know, he knew where we we're at, but he's like, Hey, where do we need to go? You know, exactly. <laughs> and you know, cause he's a, he could have gotten us there, but he wanted me to get us there. Cause I was a, no, yeah, a point he's man. thinking about other things. And trust he me. doesn't need to be worried about that. Cause <laughs> he's, he's working two radios right. trying to get in cat. You know, he's got to figure out like, Hey, let's get some tanks in here to mow the city down to get our boy out yeah. and get him to the hospital, you know? And so the, what, the story that JP's talking about right there is like the first significant casualty that we had. We had some other guys get fragged a little bit, but that was the first one uh cowie yeah yeah he got shot and uh about lost his leg yeah. but they were able to save it and now he's a 
dud. Yeah. Still. Yep. But uh, cheetahs. But yeah. che- what is it? Cheetahs or leopards don't lose their their spots. Yeah, no doubt. Yeah, no doubt. He's still a warrior inside and out. Solid. Yeah. Solid dude. He's a guy that I tell the story about where, like, when I went to see him in Charlie Med, so he's all morphined up. We we rolled in there and I, I like went to shake his hand like a bro handshake, mm-hmm. and and like when I grab, he reached up, he grabbed my hand, and he like pulls me down right, and and he and he's like in my ear, and he goes, "Let me stay." Oh yeah, he was. I'm like, I'm like, hey, bro, you're about to lose your leg. I'm like, I didn't tell him that. Yeah, but I was like, hey, bro, let's make sure you get healed up, and I think you're gonna have to leave <laughs> to do that. <laughs> and he's like, just he's like, just let me stay. He goes, I don't care. I'll I'll I'll, I'll clean. You know, but just let me stay. Yeah. And I was like, bro, we're uh, it's just go get healed up. If you have to go, go get healed up. We'll bring you back. And of course, yeah. he didn't heal up fast enough because it was pretty jacked up. He got an armor piercing round in his leg that entered like down by his knee and exited up by his groin. Yeah, it and hit the femur, right? Yeah. And just traveled. Dude, I mean, he's nasty. He's lucky to have his leg. Absolutely. I mean, he's legitimately lucky. So, I've got to get him on the podcast sometime. His whole life is awesome. All right. Well, you know what? You know, what I was thinking. Well, there's one more op that I was thinking of besides the kind of urban sniper operations you were doing and yeah. presence patrols. You did a cool op that was a little bit more like Leif and I were talking about how, oh, you know what? You know, it's not like you see in the movies because with these sniper overwatch positions, we'd have a bunch of people with us. You know, we have 20, 15, 20, 10, 30 people. You have a lot of people to be in these buildings and hold security and all that. Whereas in the movies, they always portray like two guys out in the middle of nowhere. Mm hmm. And we always go, yeah, no, that's not that realistic. But you guys actually did one off like that. <laughs> yeah, we did. It full was full on. Full on. It was pretty awesome. Um, yeah. So up in uh, northern Sofia, we we're getting just hammered by mortars. You know, just constantly. We knew that's where they're coming from. So uh, we get dropped off at a little outstation north of you know the Malab district, mm-hmm. and we just did a patrol. It was a long patrol up there. And I remember, you know, we're, you know, hugging the river, trying to stay as close to the river as we can. It's, you know, you go from the dry, just dead city to this lush vegetation and you're trying to patrol through that. And I'm just like, oh, dude, hands like all the guys in Vietnam, all those guys (laughs) that just got after it. Like I've always respected them, but that just brought a new level of respect. Like we have night vision. They didn't yeah. most of the time, you know. Yeah. It was just like, and it is it is hard for people to understand that that area north of Ramadi that was like well irrigated by the river by the Euphrates yeah. River, it looked like Vietnam. Yeah, it had palm trees, it had like paddies and dikes and all that stuff. It looked like Vietnam. Yeah, and Leif was talking about it the other day, and he's like, yeah, there was like the uh, bull p- pulling a plow type situation. Yeah. Straight up looked like yeah. Vietnam. Yeah, it was crazy. So, anyways, we go up there. And, uh, man, it was, we had dogs that were following us. So, um, I can't say his name. He's still in, but he always, he carried a, uh, imp- suppressed MP5 with subsonic rounds. Mm-hmm. So he, he was our dog killer mm-hmm. and, uh, <laughs> it was pretty funny. And so he just, you know, these are bad, savage dogs. So don't worry. <laughs> and, um, and so we're getting up there, you know, they're, you know, barking, giving away our location. So we, you know, handle them. We keep going. And um, we get set up at night, and you know we get a op set up, and you know we're 
right on the river. Like that's right on the river because we we know if we need the boats to come in and support us, they can come in. We can get a fast es- extract out of there, and um, you know, so me and the Badger, we you know we have change out into all of our stuff. You know, like we're, we're carrying gear for like three to four days, mm-hmm. right? Like it's almost physically impossible to carry that much water, mm-hmm. like and all your ammo and all, everything else like that. And so we get it done and uh, we change out, get in our ghillie suits. And I just remember like thinking like, dude, this is legit. This is it. <laughs> like you see like the ambient light, like coming in through the trees where we're all like hidden and vegged up and the guys are set their perimeter. We're in our, we're in our ghillie suits and we just boom. And one of the other guys like, dude, it's awesome. You know, you guys are there and we're turning around and he goes, and you guys are gone. Like you just disappeared in the dark and, you know, we went and got set up, you know, and like I said, um, you know, the badger was, you know, he had, he was a sniper before, you know, so I learned a lot from him. And, but at this time we both had a good amount of experience of actually on the gun and whatnot. And so he was, you know, no, no ego with him. You know no, what I mean? He's, he's just awesome. so like easy back. He's like, Hey man, this is what we're going to do. What do you think? I'm like, yeah, let's do it. And then they're saying, I'm like, Hey man, we should change up that. He's like, all right, yeah, let's do that. And so we end up, vegging up in this area that i mean it was the only the the opportunity for where we had to be wasn't ideal Mm -hmm. you know we legitimately were on the other side of these bushes out in the open it was like thick bushes around us so we could veg up and blend in but we were out there by ourselves and we knew that and Mm -hmm. we after we did our recon we told the guys like hey this is the only place we can go this is legitimately like the only place we can go to be able to you know get these guys and so our contingency was if something happened, we were going to have to wait a while before the guys could actually move to a position to provide cover fire and, you know, everything else like that. And we're like, all right, cool, you know, not a big deal. You know, and so we're like, cool, we have our pistols and sniper <laughs> rifles, you know what I mean? And so we go off, we get vegged up, we, you know, help veg each other, get ourselves into position. Rifles are laying, like, kind of underneath the, uh, the drag bags, which are vegged up. And we had our pistols out just because, I mean, there's – I know people can't see us right now, but there's the distance from me to you. We had people walking past us mm-hmm. and it was just one of those things. Where so just, three, four, five meters away. Is, yeah. Five meters. Is there's, there's people walking by. Yeah. Just walking by us. And we're out there, you know, all throughout the night, the day, you know, it's one of those things where you're like, all right, I have to pee. You know, you're not trying to drink too much water because you don't have to use it. But at the same time, you're like, it's hot, so I need to. <laughs> Luckily, since it is that hot and you're in a ghillie suit, you're sweating most of it mm-hmm. out anyways. But you know, a couple of times we had to pee, so you like slightly roll over, dig a hole, relieve yourself, cover back up, and lay back on top of it. You know, mm-hmm. and it was good though. Um, you know, we actually uh, we got got mortared at that position, and um, we uh, we got lucky. You know, we definitely had our angels there because you know it messed up our radios temporarily, and um, everything around us was just kind of tore up like all the bushes and everything and we didn't get hit by one thing and you know it was just like hey what do we do do we stay here do we move them well we, our radios were jacked up so you know luckily you know they didn't move to us you know and start laying down cover fire while we're trying to move back to mm-hmm. them so we just waited a little bit made sure like we weren't trying to get suckered out yeah. or you know ambushed or anything and then we just slowly made our way back to the group. We told him what happened. I mean, dude, me and, me and him were pretty jacked up from that. Like, we were throwing up, like, the just the blast and mm-hmm. everything else. Were like, they 120s, you think? Dude, honestly, I have no idea. Yeah. There's a couple of them. But, like. If they rocked you that hard, then they were big. We were throwing up the whole patrol back. Oh, yeah, me and they him. were big. Yeah, I mean, we were both throwing up. 
Um, <laughs> we both were, we both had blood in our, our urine and stool yeah. after that. And it was just, I mean, yeah, it was, but you know, whatever. I mean, we, we got the guys and, you know, we called in uh counter stuff and we came back and everyone was happy because they didn't get mortared. The base didn't get mortared for a while. Cause I remember after that, the laundry guys, you know, these, these guys are there, they're doing the laundry. Like they're so stoked that we did that. And we're like, man, we're, we're stoked. We got to do that. You know what I mean? That's awesome. They would come and like, come and pick up our laundry for us. And we're like, dude, no, we're good. Like, this is awkward. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like, you know, go pick up your boys laundry. Like we're, we're good. But it was, it was really cool to be able to do that. You know, something completely outside of the box that we hadn't been doing the whole time. So we were able to go from, and it just came from good planning. We had, like I said, we had solid leadership. So we had good plans in place. Yeah. Yeah. And it was the amount of, of sustained combat operations for the whole task unit was, 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 Damn, it was an incredible op tempo. Yeah. I mean, it was just like op, 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 op every day to one unit, two unit, three elements going out, four elements. That's yeah. all the time. Yeah. So we start getting towards the end of this deployment. Mm-hmm. And obviously, Mark got killed on August 2nd. And and then September 29th, uh, Mikey gets killed. Yeah. And we're, I mean, we're, <coughs> we're not, we're not done operating by any stretch because we did a bunch more operations, but it was definitely winding down at that point. Yeah. We had to start thinking about redeployment. Yeah. And, uh. I mean, we were all packed up. I remember because we weren't out at uh, out of Corregidor anymore. Yeah, we had guys that were. You were one of the guys that had come back from Corregidor as we started trying to filter guys back I to was, consolidate. I was so mad I had to come back. You know, I think about it every day when I feel this finger because I, I, you know, I cut my finger down to the bone, and uh, they actually had to casvac me out uh, to go get surgery on my finger because they thought I was going to lose it because. We tried to work on it across the street at the aid station, mm-hmm. which those guys are phenomenal combat medics over there. And when they were like, dude, we need a bird for you. You're going to lose your finger. Um, Delta platoon commander and the badger were like, dude, we have, yeah, absolutely. You know, so I went back, grabbed some gear and, um, you know, I feel that every day. <sighs> Just hard. Um, like that was the only op I wasn't on. You know, and every time we went out, I always said a group prayer for the guys. It didn't matter if it was like, hey, we have to go right now. Delta Platoon Commander or the Badger or someone would be like, hey, we got to get JP real quick. And I'd say a group prayer and we'd roll. And that was the only one that I wasn't a part of. And, uh, you know, Mikey was my A-dub gunner. You know, he was always next to me when I was doing my sniper overwatches. And he was next to me when I was rocking point, you know, uh, because you need an A-dub gunner. And JP might have gotten a little crazy towards the last half of the deployment and started to walk in point with the 300 Win Mag. And Mikey was there. And I wasn't there, you know? And I don't know. So. Well, the good news is you got to go home with him. Yes. Yeah. Got to escort his body home. Which was. 
unlike anything else, you know, you're like, cool. You know, you get to be a part of that. But also at the same time, you're like, this is really shitty to be a part of. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know. It was like, yeah, I wanted to be there and uh, make sure everything went well. And I just remember us flying back and just, just, just staring at the flag over his coffin, you know. And some guys would, you know, lay next to the casket and we'd lean up against it and Yeah, it was just getting to bring him home was important to be a part of that. But uh you know, everybody felt so much guilt. And uh we all we all try to keep each other accountable on that, you know, it's like, hey man, this is war, you know. Mikey saved a lot of lives, you know. And we made an impact over there. And so it wasn't like it was for nothing. And what he did, I mean, the guys' lives that he saved, they all now have families and kids. You know, a couple of them had kids. Mikey had the easy out. And just like he always did, he never took the easy road. He took the harder road, the road that would actually make a difference. And this time I was alive to those, of those guys around him. And it was just the ride back. I mean, you're just thinking about all that. And, you know, it was also kind of a, a blur as well. You know, like I remember, you know, just like just rubbing the flag, you know. <clears throat> the flag's always been very important to me. I remember graduating how we can just sing the, the flag fly. And then you hear it in the national anthem. And just seeing it over one of your boys' caskets was just brought a new level of connection and love for that amazing flag that we have. And I just remember I just sat there and I just would just rub the flag, just rub it, you know, because I had flags that I carried with me on every deployment, every mission. I still do that sometimes. Like my wife, Amanda, will just, I'll be doing something and I'll find a flag and I'll just, I just kind of rub it. And she's like, she knows, you know, she's like, that's like my little trigger. You know, I'm just my trigger point. I'm just, I just started thinking about things again. And, you know, I've taught my kids, Aiden, Cora and Nola to love and respect the flag. Like whenever they see a flag, they're like, daddy, daddy, it's your favorite thing. Daddy is daddy's favorite thing. You know, they love getting American flag t-shirts and shorts uh, they saw some American flag cowboy boots. Of course, my daughters want those now. And I've been honest with my kids, you know. My boy Aiden, I call him my bonus boy. He's my stepson. I love him just like mine. You know, he he asked me about the flag and why is it so important to me. And I've told him, I'm like, you know, it was, it's been draped over a lot of caskets of my buddies that didn't make it home, that were killed overseas. And he's such a special kid, and he was just like, that makes sense and you know and he just he sees a flag and i explained to him why a flag's at half mass and he's even said hey i'm sorry that flag's at half mass like he doesn't know why but he knows something happened and he knows what it does to me and guys like you or the flag's at half mass something horrible has happened and he knows that you know and so i just remember you know we I think he went to Bethesda and then we continued on to San Diego and um, 
just tried to mentally reset for a couple of days. You know, you're back in San Diego. It's awesome, but it just didn't. It, yeah, it I, had nothing. You know, because you knew you're waiting to receive your one of your boys' bodies. You know, so it didn't matter where we were. It didn't matter that we we're in San Diego. Like we didn't want to be in San Diego. We wanted to be back overseas still. You know, when. When we went to Habania to put him on the bird, and casket was open, yeah, and we were just filing by. And I remember you were ahead of me. We were walking into like a mill van. Yeah, it wasn't. I, it wasn't like a one-way thing. It was a cold mill van. It was a cold mill van, and you were ahead of me. You know, you were one. You were just. You were literally right ahead of me. And you walked in, and you know you 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 know you took your last look at Mike, and you you put your hand on the on the casket, and. You turned around and I was right, you know, we were just looking at each other and when I saw your face, the look in your face, I was, I felt super worried because I could tell that you were tore up. And I said to myself, hey man, Jocko, you need to get your fucking game together right now and be strong. And you were, and that's what we needed. And guys like the Delta Platoon Commander Super, super strong for us, but you saw them hurt. I mean, everybody's hurting, you know. It was, you know, that deployment, you can't not be close with somebody, you know, and especially someone like Mikey, man. Like, he he knows I like my sleep, <laughs> and so he would make sure I didn't get my sleep <laughs> just because Mikey didn't sleep. And we were, we, you know, we, our rooms right next to each other. You know, I was back in this corner, he was over in this other corner, and there's a sheet of plywood between the two of us. And he was always like, what's up, Holmes? He's like, hey, Holmes, you sleeping? I'm like, yeah, I'm trying to, Holmes. And he's like, he's like, cool. And he'd open up the tarp, you know, the little cami, you know, tarp that I had over for my door. And he'd just come in and sit on the edge of the bed. I'm like, what's up, buddy? He's like, nothing. Just want, you know, he'd just talk about family stuff. And you could tell a lot was on his mind, and, you know. And, uh, and he's like, hey, you want to watch the newest episode of Thirsty Traveler? My parents <laughs> sent me the Thirsty Traveler. I was like, no, but I'm awake, so I guess we're going to watch the Thirsty Traveler. Because there's a couple times where I'd be like, hey, bro, like I'm trying to sleep. like Just go do your own thing. You know what I mean? And he had a little hole that he carved into the plywood between our rooms. And he would crack chem lights and push them through. And they'd fall right next to where I was sleeping. And I'm like... I'm going to strangle this guy, but it was my boy, Mikey, you know, like he was my boy. Um, 
know, we were real close in the workup and then obviously deployment, you know, we used to ride street bikes together and anyway, so deployment, he was just fun. It was just, I say all that say that is he did that with everybody. Yeah. It was hard not to be close to him. It was, um, you know, there's a different connection when you're at, when you're legitimately at in war with your boys. You know, that's why all the army and Marine guys that we served with, like, Anytime I see, I still see some of them once in a while. I randomly ran into one of them up in Ohio and was just like, dude. And I just, I was up there on a sales trip and I just ditched my sales team guys, you know, because I wanted to hang out with them, you know. I just, and then there's been other trips where I, same thing, another one, my boy Nick Hobbs, you know, ran into him. I was with him on a sales team and it's like, come on, you know, it's just, just that connection is just, it's hard to explain. I mean, you guys know how it is doing jujitsu and combat sports where you're rolling with guys and you, you legitimately, you're helping guys cut weight and just all this stuff. Like there's that bond and that connection. Take that times it by a thousand and then add some more. And that's the connection you get with these boys in combat. So it was, it was just real hard. I mean, and part of it is that's just who I am. Like I, I wear my heart on my sleeve. I, I just connect and attach to people very closely and, you know, Mikey is just, it was, it was, it was really hard. And, and that's the look that I saw on your face. Yeah. That's the look that I saw on your face. I was like, and I know, I mean, obviously I know what kind of personality you have. I knew what kind of personality you have. And I saw that look of devastation. And it was the first time, cause we'd been together. I mean, we, we were, we heard the news. We, you know, but it was the first time that I saw your, your look where it was almost like that was the first time that you really realized that Mikey was gone. That was it. Yeah. Maybe I, I'm right or wrong, but no. from the look in your face, I was like, okay, he, he is he is devastated right now, and and I, that's what I thought to myself. And again, I mean, I, I don't. I saw you as my little brother. I mean, for sure. I don't mean that in any kind of derogatory way in any sense. But I literally saw you as like my blood little brother. Yeah. And so to see you just devastated like that, and I knew that you were looking at me like, what, what, okay, what's Jocko going to do? And I knew that I, I knew what I had to do yeah. was I had to show like, listen, this is what we do. Yeah. This is who we are. Get your shit together, Jocko, and, and handle this. And n- not saying I didn't, you know, not saying I was a, uh, a robot, yeah. but I knew that I had to maintain strength you have to and find that so that you guys could go all right we're gonna be okay what what have we what's been pounded into our minds since but win the fight like if you're in a fight win the fight win the firefight right and right then that our fight was you had to keep the guys together you know that's why it's always self-aid buddy aid right you get shot you get hurt you take care of yourselves because if you're in a firefight your boys are going to win the firefight first before they can take care of you that's just part of it that's how we operate and you had to do that yeah yeah, no doubt i mean that you're in that highest leadership position like yeah it just and the same thing, like I had to get myself together, you know, just because other guys in the platoon, like I thought, or at least I felt like they looked up to me as well. And, you know, especially after that deployment, you know, I just, you had to keep your stuff together, you know, and it was just, it's just a weird, weird, you know, I don't know, it was the first time I ever experienced that, you know, at that level. So, yeah. And then, you know, obviously, Mikey's funeral which you were at I, yeah. I, I obviously wasn't there because like you said we we were still uh, you know most of us were still in Iraq yeah 
and had to had to finish out the deployment and and do the turnover with the guys that were coming in from from team five and you know that was a, that was another thing was just you know i mean i talk about it all the time like and even when we were talking prior to prior to recording today you know i was like hey this is this is kind of blurry to me like yeah. i was asking you who went home with you i mean i was like okay you know these guys are gone okay here's what i gotta do i gotta focus on the next thing i like couldn't get dragged down or think about that anymore because i had to like you said i had to do my work i had to do yeah. my job and you know I, I think that's the good thing is for guys that were able to go to the funeral and everything it's like you get to you get to get that like bit of closure yeah well a lot of you know the guys that were still over there we were just we didn't get that you know until we got home yeah we got home and and you know get to go see mikey's grave and and um meet with his family and get to know his family and and get to be together again as a as a troop and so the, all those things are kind of how you 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 go from that anguish yeah or i should say for me the buried anguish of you know that you have to bury on deployment when you get home you go okay now we can get this stuff out and discuss it and at least maybe not discuss it i don't need to say anything to you jp i don't need to talk to you about it you know i know but we can we can settle it you know yeah and i think when guys don't do that when guys don't think about it when they keep it buried all the time that's when it can be really problematic is yeah. you know you you got to you got to you got to face the fact and you got to be okay with it eventually that hey this is what happened yeah and you know w- when we talk about like who who's I, I guess you could say you know who's to blame and I, I told this to multiple people. Matter of fact, I told everybody, you want to blame somebody? You blame the fucking mooch. Yeah. They're the ones that did this. Absolutely. Yeah, that's what happened. Yeah. And what we're going to do is go kill more to, of them. Continue to go kill more of them. Yeah. So that deployment obviously was a, was a, was a game changer for us. Yeah. For a huge impact on our lives and and you know everything really that that we're doing to this day. And you you got home, I moved over to, you know, take over the training command there. Yep. You started another workup but you got hurt. Yeah, so hurt your shoulder. um you know, I was just the desert, I smoked, you know, just you know, coming home from that deployment, you know, initially just still kind of messed up, well not still kind of. I was messed up with the whole Mikey thing. I remember I went and told Yarbrough, I was like, hey, I just want to go pay calm. Like, just let me reset. He's like, okay. And then he, I mean, he, he knows, and he's, mm-hmm. he knows me. He's like, all right, cool. Yeah, roger that, knowing that's not what he's going to do. And uh, I'm driving back up to Sacramento on leave. He's like, hey, um, I know you said you want to go to pay calm, but yeah, we need to get after it again. <laughs> so you're going to go to Iraq again or, Af- or possibly Afghanistan. I was like, yeah, roger that. Yeah, I don't even know why I said that. You know, like mm-hmm. it was just it was one of those things where you're just like, ah, you know, I'm gonna go do PACOM, go to Thailand. Were you gonna or stay in Delta Platoon? Uh, no, they switched it all up. So it was, I, I remember that, but there were a yeah, couple yeah. guys that stayed there. Yeah, yeah. So no, I was gonna be uh, Alpha or Bravo yeah. platoon. It, so it's after like, our deployment with TU Bruiser, they took it instead of keeping it together because there was all this experience in these two platoons. <laughs> instead of keeping it together, they just split everybody apart into different platoons so yeah. other other platoons would have these guys in their platoons with a yeah. ton of combat experience guys were pissed yeah everyone was pissed 
like super pissed but <laughs> yeah, yeah so least. we start work up and um ripped my shoulder out of joint my right one and it was a bad one not like i'd done that multiple times before like i mean we're out at nylon the mm-hmm. you know doing our desert warfare getting it on and my shoulder came out and i just relocate the shoulder and you know suck it up a little bit and keep going and this was a bad one so ended up having to have surgery They're like all right cool you know you have surgery you'll miss a little bit of work up but we'll, you know we'll catch it up and we'll get going and when i had surgery they punctured my brachial nerve or did some damage to it so i would actually drop stuff and um the, can't be in an active duty platoon when you're dropping stuff mm-hmm. you know randomly because <clears throat> i was at rehab and i just i couldn't grab onto stuff or i would just drop stuff so then they pulled me and i went to buds um for a little bit as an in-doc instructor and uh, a good time over there learned a lot <laughs> about you know just professionalism and you know things change and evolve and you know um so went over to trade it with you guys mm-hmm. and um you and uh z mm-hmm. you guys pulled me over there and it was awesome you know stepped into uh assaults and where we're doing all the cqc and urban warfare training and <clears throat> trade it was awesome you know i'm working for you again <clears throat> which is i'm like yes get after as it as it should be <laughs> yes absolutely and um i learned a lot at trade it about good leadership and bad leadership you know there's some guys that trade it um that hadn't really done anything and jocko was pushing those guys out of there not in a bad way but just like hey man like you're not gonna be you know the war's really been going on for a while. Training's, you know, combat is getting intense. Training needs to be intense. And it needs to come from guys that actually have experience or are willing to listen to the guys that have the experience and apply that, you know. And so it really shaped and changed the the platform of training for all the West Coast SEAL teams. And so I was super proud to be a part of that. And um, I learned a lot about leadership and growth. You know, I learned good bosses and bad bosses and um, actually ended up becoming the LPO for, for Mount, or I guess it's now called South, you know, mm-hmm. so I ran all the urban warfare training for a year and that was awesome. I got to learn actually how to work with guys and actually manage guys, you know, effectively like, and, um, which it's funny, you know, you get on the outside and you're like, man, what you do on the outside is no big deal. You know, compared to the teams where you're like in charge of like a hundred plus role players and 17 instructors and logistics for travel and hotel and making sure all the training is set up and managing the guys that need to be talking with the other units that we're talking to. And at this time I'm still only 24, <laughs> you know, maybe 25. I don't even think I was 25. Well, no, I was 25, you know, and maybe. And, uh, so I just learning a lot about that. And, uh, that was pretty cool. And then I uh, spent a lot of time at CQC, which every good team guy loves. Of course. Urban warfare, land warfare, and CQC, you know. Yeah. And, um, you know, I had some really good bosses over there as well. My boy, Chucky. Mm-hmm. He's still in, so I'll respect his name as well. Uh, we actually lived together, and I worked for him. And that was a huge lesson of... You know, which we all have in the teams is balancing personal and professional because yeah. the teams are very tight. You know, you could go out and drinking with your bosses, hang out with them, and then at work the next day. But different when you're living with somebody. And um, man, I was late for work one day. We're on the road, and I was just like, "Hey, man, I'm running a little late." He's like, "You better not be late." You know, 
something along those lines. So I get there, and I'm like a minute late, right? Dude, I ended up on, like, restriction. <laughs> Not, like, really full-on restriction, like military thinks about it, but it was like, he was like, yeah, you've got to do this. So basically, I was just a little little go-to guy where I got to do all the work, you know? And and it was good, though, you know, because I expected that of him. Like, I knew. Like, I made a mistake. I got to pay the man. And he, you know, I put him in a hard position, you know, which was unfair to him. And, you know, you can't be doing that to your boys, you know? Like, you can't take advantage of, like, oh, well, my buddy's my boss, so I can do this. No, my buddy's my boss, so I'm going to work even harder for him. And, you know, and that's what... Yeah, I was, again, a little upset with myself. And, you know, there's a couple of times, like, he would have to sit me down and we'd just talk. He's like, hey, man, you know, you, you can't be doing this stuff or you need to be focused on this. And he really helped with my professional development, you know, really helped and helped me learn a lot of stuff that I was able to apply to the outside and be successful. And, um, you know, he's still a great friend of mine. He's got a beautiful family and it's just it's just it's awesome seeing him grow over the years. Yeah, into, he's still kicking ass in the team. Dude, he's a legit boss. Like the guy type of guy you're like, I really want to work for him, you know. And so I just took a lot of the stuff that I learned from him and I've applied it to the outside and uh it's been awesome. And you I mean, you ended up on the outside because you made yeah. the decision to to get out. Yeah. And I'm a quitter. <laughs> yeah, the joke is in the SEAL teams, if you know, no matter what you've done or how long you've been in for, if you ever get out of the SEAL teams, you're a quitter. So um, that's what they tell you. So you decided to get out pretty much based on your family, right? Yeah, I got out. Um, you know, I'd already had a failed marriage. Um, you know, I have a son that's here in California that I don't ever get to see because his mom is awesome. And. Um, you know, I met Amanda and just, I mean, she's the love of my life. She's amazing. She deals with me and mm -hmm. deals with me very well. I give her big props for that. <laughs> Absolutely. You know. Nice work, Amanda. Yeah. She's, you know, you watch the movie 300, you know, the queen. Yeah. That's her. Right. A hundred percent, you know, and, um, you know, she was going to move to San Diego with, uh, with Aiden and I was super fired up about that. And then, uh, she was pregnant. I'm like, okay, cool still still happening and then pregnant with twins she's like er nope i'm not leaving mom and my support group i remember i was so mad and it caused a lot of issues because i held on to that anger longer than i should have mm -hmm. you know and um i was just so angry and upset but now that i look at it you know she's a small town mississippi girl yeah i mean she's gorgeous you know she's awesome but she's a small town girl and you know, sometimes we're back home, she'll be driving. She's like, hey, you can drive. You know, because she, she doesn't want to drive in the traffic on, you know, the road, the main roads. And I think about that. I'm like, that's like no traffic here in San Diego. So it wouldn't have been fair. And then all of a sudden, it's like for me to expect her to move to San Diego with Aiden. And A, you know, I'm taking him away from his dad. So that wasn't really fair, yeah. you know. Um, and I could relate to that. And, you know, her parents are awesome. So then also and her friends, you know, she's a good support group. And it's like, you know, I was just like, man. And a couple of things didn't work out when I had screened. To, you know, I had another surgery mm -hmm. when I was out. You know, I just took it as, hey, you know, this is maybe the time I need to move on. It's a good chapter in my life, an amazing chapter that I'll never forget. And it's very important. It's who helped mold me as a man. Um, but I absolutely was not going to, I was not not going to be there for Amanda and the kids, you know, 
And so I got out, and there's a lot of guys that are upset about that in the teams, you know. And You're talking um, about me? <laughs> yeah, you and a couple other guys. <laughs> a couple other guys that are still active, you know. But um, so I got out, and um, it was a rough transition. You go from I'm born and raised in Sacramento, California, and lived in San Diego my whole life. Or, I mean, I'm sorry, lived in San Diego the whole time in the Navy. And then I'm in North Mississippi, Mm-hmm. yeah awesome <laughs> just i just man you talk about culture shock it's cool to go visit you know i used yeah. to always love when we go out there for work but you're leaving after two weeks and now all of a sudden i'm living there and it was just nothing bad with the south or where i live it just for me it was a huge change and i go from being a seal to now i'm doing sales at a financial job mm-hmm. a financial company which of course I get after it because that's yeah. just, you know, I have to provide for your family, but just the transition. And I made the mistake of not reaching out to people and asking and helping. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like um, one of my boys, he's still in, Los, you know, go by his little nickname. And I did reach out to him a couple of times and he was real solid. He would reach out to me. He'd be like, hey man, how you doing? How is JP really doing? You know? I talked to him about stuff. He's like, man, that's not good, bro. Like we need to, you know, whatever. And there's times where he's like, all right, well, you know, you just know what you need to do. And, you know, uh, Chucky, same thing. Chucky would reach out to me as well. And he'd come out there for training and he'd come over and hang out with the family and the kids, you know, he's my boy, you know? And so I found a gym and uh, a new MMA gym was opening up like right around the corner from the house. And I was like, oh, boom. Yes. You know what I mean? And uh, came really close with a couple of guys, uh, Jake and Zach Underwood. They're actually from Union City, same city Aaron Vaughn was born and raised in. Uh, so they already knew about him. And uh, I didn't tell them what I did. You know, they had no idea what I did. And uh, I was like, yeah, they're like Union City. I was like, oh, cool, I know Aaron Vaughn. And they're like, how how do you know Aaron Vaughn? I'm like, oh, we used to work together. Like, well, what do you mean you used to work with them? You know? And I told them like, what? Oh, cool. And, uh, you know, a couple other fighters from the gym, Joe pass, Andy and Teddy, like just my boys, you know, Mm -hmm. like out there, they became like, they became my team guy buddies out there. Like they're cut from the same cloth as us, you know, and just down to earth guys that legitimately always, they have my back out there and they, it was weird because I never really explained much to them about my time in the teams, but they knew I was having a hard time transitioning mm-hmm. and they were just there for me. You know, they're just there at the gym. They'd push me to my limits. You know, they're like, Hey, you're going to start fighting. I'm like, awesome. You know? And so, you know, I have seven amateur MMA fights and just the challenge of cutting weight and just training with the boys and sparring and, you know, I do it as a stress reliever, which is yeah, funny, sure. you know, because like you watch some of my YouTube videos and uh, the announcers is like, yeah, and Jeremiah Patrick says he trains as a stress reliever. That's unique. <laughs> like they don't know how to like, you know, they don't know how to react to it because everyone else is like, I want to be the next USC champion. And I had a horrible life and I hate my parents. And I'm just, you know, I'm like, yeah, I have an awesome life. I make really good money. And um I just want to have a little stress reliever. You know, it's funny. You know, like, nice. you know, I wasn't fighting to turn pro because I need to make money. I was just like, there's my stress reliever. And yeah. it was being around guys yeah. that were it's, like-minded it's again. It's fighting. Yes. There's, fighting is fun. And exactly. sometimes if you can't get a machine gun to fight with, it's fun to fight with your fists. Yeah. And, it's fun. You I know, mean, it's it's in your, it's in your, it's part of your instinct as a human. Yeah. Oh, it should be. 
Well, sure yeah, if it's man. not. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess, I guess, for some people, it's not. But for the people that I know, it's part of their instinct as a human. Yeah. Is it, you should is, be able to defend. You yourself. want to be able to fight. You know. You should. I mean, you watch little kids, little six-year-old, seven-year-old kids. After it, you bring any random six-year-old or seven-year-old boy into a jujitsu place and put them on a room with padded walls and padded floor, and you say, "Do whatever you want." They're going to end up attacking each other. <laughs> That's the way it works. Uh, that was my daughter's, <clears throat> like. I got them in jujitsu two weeks before they turned three. Nice. It was most of the owners of the gym. And uh, Joel, uh, he's a former Team One guy. He's a part owner of the gym. He's a five time world champion in, I believe, his gi, four time world champion in no gi. Nice. I don't think he's had one point scored on him in the last five years. Dang, dude. Yeah. Solid. That's savage. Just bringing the team guy reputation into jujitsu world, you know? That's people sick. are just. just Who is it? Joel Gendry. I don't know. Team One. Dude, he's so solid. How old is he? He's fifty something. How the hell do I not know him? He must have been the teams are the same. I mean, I mean, I was at Team One for like eight years. Maybe it was when you went to the East Coast. Huh. I don't know. Anyway, super solid guy. Um, I remember you when you started when you started fighting. Yeah, and you were like, "I'm you like I'm gonna fight." You you know because you sent me text too. Yeah. And, oh yeah. And you sent me a text like, "Hey, I'm gonna I'm I'm starting to train." And then like a month later, you're like, "Dude, I'm 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 getting into it." And then a month later, you're like. Bro, I can't believe I didn't train with you all the time. Because you and I, I used to train pissed. occasionally. But like, I'll train with anybody anytime. And you would train with me like once a month when you could have been training with me seven days a week. And I, was I was furious. Yeah, I, I, was, I, I was. I was laughing inside and I was also pissed. And I was like. I tell people that. Yeah. I'm like, yeah. So I basically could have been doing jujitsu since 2005 yeah. with Jocko. Yeah. And people are like, what? <laughs> I'm like, yeah, I could have. But, you know. I just, I, I guess I never really got the, like the taste. Like the, I, I like to stand. I don't know. I'm an idiot. That's why yeah, I did. Yeah. I'm just an idiot. You know, actually, and you then called yourself. R- you called yourself an idiot when you were talking about your youth before. And I realized that when I bring um, team guys on here, when they talk about like their past, the term idiot comes up all the time. I know I do it all. I'm like, oh, I was an idiot. Yeah. And Tony's like, I was an idiot. <laughs> it's just like classic, you know. Well, you know, I mean, like, and and then when I tell people like, yeah, you know, since 2005 with Jocko. I could have been rolling and training all the time. And then when you opened your gym, you know, guys like Echo and his brother and yeah, Dean Lister like and you. No, I was there, but I was always doing the stand-up stuff. Oh, and I was right. doing jujitsu just to do jujitsu. Yeah, I didn't yeah. do any of the MMA the stuff, you know. Now I look back and I just legitimately get upset about it sometimes. And I'll tell people like, yeah, I could have done. And they're like, you're an idiot. You know what I mean? <laughs> I'm like, they're like Jocko, Dean Lister. And, you know, like, it's just whatever. I mean, Hey, everything happens for a reason. I mean, I've I've done pretty well so far. I'm six and one, and you know the guys out there are solid. You yeah, know, solid no, you coaches. Felt good last night, yeah, because you know, we trained last night. Yeah, I hadn't done fun. anything in like sixteen yeah. months. Yeah, you know, I had Damn. that I had that injury. I went into my last fight. You know, my coaches were like, "Dude, I'm pulling you." And Joel, dude, he's such a legit badass. Just tough. Like people are terrified of him, but he has the other side that people don't realize. Team guys have where he's like, "Hey." I'm pulling you from this fight. Like, I can't let you get hurt. You know, like the nurturing, like you got to take care of your boys. Cause I went into it with a, f- a facial fracture from here down Damn. to here. All these teeth are still numb from it. I had a deviated septum, crushed sinuses and a herniated disc in my neck. <laughs> What'd you do? Get in a fight with a bear? <laughs> yeah. Uh, sparring Teddy Holder, oh, you know, who man. knocked out Tiago Silva. Dang. Yeah. That's one of my boys and Andy Uruk, Bellator fighter. Joe, I mean, Zach, all these guys, I mean, just they get, after it you know yeah. and um 
Yeah, and I they, hope they get after a little bit less in your sparring sessions from now on. Yeah, we learned that. Well, and also it was pretty. It, That's old school, man. I'm telling yeah. you right now, that is old school. You don't need to spar like that. No, and we you know that. Shouldn't spar and, like and, that. And you know, and the guys have changed it up. Yeah. Guys are legitimately changed yeah. it up because guys are getting knocked out in fights. And anyway, we can talk. That that yeah. could be a whole another podcast. But they get really changed it up. Um, and so, but I, you know, when I got the call for that fight, I had I'd fought not too close before that uh with this uh guy a tough tough guy you know ours was like a grudge match you know everyone thought we hated each other and you know we just do we sold so many tickets it was insane like we each sold over 110 tickets so you're like that you're like the conor mcgregor of amateur fighting <laughs> the conor mcgregor amateur fighting in the mid-south where the mid-south <laughs> thinks it's like the next big thing and it's like you know and so um so anyways me and that guy uh danny shell good guy you know he's awesome uh dude he really is a really good guy, you know what I mean? Right but on. we just, we'd get after it on social media just to, you know, yeah. just because we're bored, I guess. And, uh, yeah. uh, but it came down, you know, we had a tough fight, you know what I mean? And, um, yeah, I mean, it was, it was awesome. Like you watch it and we're just, what weight do you fight at? I fought anywhere between 170 to 205. <laughs> <laughs> My first fight. What are you um, walking around at right now? Uh, 215. Nice. Um, not nice. You, yeah. Not a good two fifteen. I tried to be gentle over here. No, know? that's fine. You don't have to. You know. But uh, my you first bastard. Yeah, exactly. Hey. You, would, you used to walk around like in the in the in Tito Bruiser. You were like one eighty five. No, I, that was my heaviest. Like I couldn't break one eighty five. Like I was trying to like do like all the bodybuilding lifts, yeah. like get as big as I could. And I could never break one eighty five. And then my dad's like, "Dude, wait until you get your 30s. I'm like whatever. <laughs> He's like, oh, okay, because your body has legitimately done everything mine has at every yeah. age increment, and then yeah, mm. you get big. But my first fight, I fought at two hundred five, but I only weighed one ninety uh, mm-hmm. because I was going to fight at one eighty five for my first fight. Mm-hmm. But um, that's why I normally don't go by Jeremiah Denell on like social media because guys started googling Jeremiah Denell. You know, I testified against Jesse Ventura with the whole Chris Kyle thing and whatnot. So you Google Jeremiah Denell, there's a bunch of Navy SEAL stuff out there. And so I changed, that's why I changed my Facebook page to Jeremiah Patrick, just because, you know, fighters would look that up. I'd like to, my coaches were like, they didn't want to tell me. And I knew there was something weird with Jake and Zach and my dad. Like <laughs> I knew there was something going on. My fighter backed out. Oh, and then they're trying to find like another fighter. And then he backed out. Mm-hmm. I think it was like two or three guys I had sold on my first fight over a hundred tickets also like I'd fa- I'd people flying in from California driving out like for like drive for East Coast West Coast Washington you know my aunt and uncle were flying out it's like first amateur fight this is ridiculous right <laughs> should have just traveled somewhere where this better be a good show <laughs> exactly I out from Washington so <laughs> yeah exactly you know and um I remember telling uh, my buddy Jake, I'm like, dude, I don't care if it's a heavyweight. Get me a fight. Like, I can't not fight. You know what I mean? Like, all right, we're fine. So I found some good. He had a a good amount of uh, fights already. And, like, he cut down to 205. And I weighed in with flip-flops, my cutoff cami shorts, all my stuff in my pockets at 191. Mm -hmm. And um, it was awesome. It was good. Good little first fight. Um Got myself way too amped up for it. You know, I should have yeah, gone I, in. I, I, that one's on video, right? Yeah, I think yeah. you sent it to me. Yeah, I sent you everyone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was looking at that fight, and I'm like, yes, this is the JP that's extremely amped right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I finished him in the second fight, uh, second round. Um, TKO in the second fight, finished that guy in the first round. Uh, third fight, 
which was hilarious. They had me as the main event on this card for the third fight. That's what you get when you're selling a hundred tickets. I know. You know, like, we're the main event. Yeah, that's, yeah, not good for adding just unneeded stress. You know know what, you know what, no kidding, like, in watching your your fights and everything, you do have the, I mean, you have this anyways, but you you, you have like a level of charisma that makes people want to watch you fight because you're just, fired up and you have a good level of charisma it's like you you know you're like i compared you to conor mcgregor jokingly yeah. but it's a reality if you watch some of your fights it's like yeah i could see in the mid-south people going i want to go watch jeremiah <laughs> yeah. Dell get after it punch yeah. him in the face <laughs> yeah <laughs> like dude for sure. you should come watch some fights in the south it's well, hilarious sell me some tickets man <laughs> I, I think i can get you a ticket bro but uh you know the, so the fights have been awesome uh my fourth fight i lost um I actually went into that fight. I had, I was in the hospital or not the, the doctors in and out of the doctors, almost hospital like the week prior. Uh, I was cutting down to 170 mm-hmm. again, also uh, with hand, foot, mouth disease. And is that, is that your method of cutting weight? Get, uh, get yourself hand, foot, mouth disease. Dude, I would not recommend weight. it at all. Uh, I had to take this uh, medicine to numb my mouth and throat just to drink water. <laughs> so it did help with cutting weight, except for yeah. it was horrible. Amanda was legitimately taking care of me like everything and she's helps she preps all my meals you know i come home yeah. from the gym and she you know but you've been out for, i mean are you you think you're gonna fight again yes check you know check gotta heal up but it, yeah it's been good you know but, i mean you and you also had a rough rough little rough patch with amanda right yeah yeah we did um you know i get a little emotional think about that sometimes it's just you know, we're so lucky what we have. We got a second chance, you know. We actually full on had a divorce. Moved out. Dang. Had dude. my own house. You know, she was doing her own thing. I was doing my own thing. And um, you know, it just came down to lack of communication. Which when I really look at it and we both look at it and we were both just being selfish. Mm-hmm. Which like I I try to think that's not me. And with Amanda, like that's not her. You talk about somebody who's not selfish. I, that's her like to an extent but we just i don't know yeah well it's it's bizarre too and because you you are i mean in the teams you were obviously extremely selfless and but i see how these things happen for whatever reason with your with your team guy bros it's like i'll do anything for you yeah. and i've had situations with you where i've been like hey i need this right now and you've been like i'll be there in 3 minutes and 30 seconds and I'm like, okay, cool, you know, and and, but for some reason, guys don't always, guys and girls both don't always do the best job of yeah. translating that selflessness into that relationship at home. Yeah. <laughs> so it happens, but I'm glad that you guys were able to kind of yeah, I work mean, through it, that, man. That's yeah, awesome. like I said, you know, it was about a year. You know, we're doing our own thing, and um, you know, we just kept getting drawn back to each other, and it was the kids and. You know, everyone says, oh, my kids are so smart. Dude, our daughters and Aiden are incredibly intelligent. Like, you know, my daughters will be five in January. So this time frame, you know, they're they're, they're, they're three, you know, and they know what's going on, you know, and they're trying to be like, hey, you know, you know, my daughter Noel is like, well, you know, daddy, if you and mommy didn't argue so much, maybe we could all live together. Mm. And to hear that from your kids, you know, I was just like, whew. It was rough. It was really hard. 
and you do anything for your kids, you know? So what do you think is the key element that made you go, you know what, jackass, idiot, you need to get in the game here and make this work? Like what, and then what method did you use where you said, okay, next time that she does this, I'm gonna counter, instead of attacking or instead of getting defensive, I'm just gonna be like, all right. So what made me get back in the game is I still loved her. Like I was just, I'm still, you know, head over heels in love with her and head over and heel in love with my kids. And I didn't want somebody else raising my kids. And Aiden, you know, like I would still pick him up and take him to school, mm-hmm. you know, even though, you know. And okay, so, so there's a pretty clear answer. Then what did you have to change to, to make it work when you went back, when you when you said, hey, all right, I'm going to, in your own mind, what did you do differently that's made it successful? We put each other first. Boom. And we learned to communicate, you know, and I was sitting in, Amanda, you know, I don't know. We both just had like this come to Jesus with somebody. Like, I can't remember who I was talking to. I don't know who she was talking to. And, you know, she's crafty. She's smart. She knows how to deal with me. You're right. So she calls and she knows it's my weekend. It's all well, obviously she's calling me to talk to the kids. And she's like, hey, can I talk to the girls? I'm like, yeah, absolutely. And so I put on a speakerphone. She's like, hey, girls, I love you. Hey, girls, do you want daddy to pick me up for a church so we can all go together? Dude, I was so pissed. <laughs> and the chorus, the girl's like, yeah. And she's like, I was like, cool. Hey, outside in five minutes or I'm driving. Still going to keep driving, you know? She's waiting outside in this dress. Looks stunning. Just, I was like, all right. You know, that was at the beginning, you know? And then we just learned to communicate with each mm-hmm. other and we we put each other first. And, you know. cover and move. Exactly. Maybe a lot of cover and move. There's a lot of cover and move. And we legitimately have to put each other first instead of, you know, just doing it as a team. Like my focus, and I'm, I don't do this all the time. I'm not trying to act like we have this perfect relationship mm-hmm. and everything's phenomenal now, but we legitimately try to put each other first in almost everything that we do to try to take care of each other. And out of all the arguments that we've ever had or anybody else has ever had with their significant other, it was because it was too complicated. Something was complicated and messed up mm-hmm. and so we just had to simplify things let's just go ahead to uh you know law combat number two exactly we got one covered yeah just cover and move keep yeah. things simple cover move keep things simple yeah and i know what you're talking about you know what that is that's when you when you take a look at this argument that you're in and you go wait a second what are we arguing about right now oh we're arguing because i put my spaghetti in the microwave before you did you know what i'm sorry yeah I'll let you have the spaghetti first. Let's simplify it. Because that little thing of who's using the microwave first all of a sudden spirals into yeah. you know a major blowout if you're not careful. And it's over something stupid. That's what I'm saying. And, but, I mean, she's an alpha female. I'm an alpha male. So, of course, we're just like, at times we just want to challenge each other. But mm-hmm. then we're like, no, this is stupid. Yeah. You know? Hey, and I then, had an idea. Instead of challenging each other, why don't we work together exactly. and take over the world? I know. That's, that's our, Well, that's about. our plan right now, and we're doing it. <laughs> Good. Um, and then, you know, I mean, and then just legitimately figuring out what was priorities in our life. Like, we just had to be, so we could be on the same page. Echo? Prioritize, execute. Exactly. Ooh. Booyah. Look at that. And, uh, and, and I was, I've talked to a couple of people, different people about this, you know, you know what, you know, it's awesome that you're saying this because I've heard a bunch of times from people that have been like, Oh, extreme ownership saved our marriage. But I've never, I've always said, cool. Thanks. Yeah. But I've never said like, explain that to me. Yeah. But now you're explaining it to me yeah. and I, it, it absolutely does. Yeah. I mean, I always thought they focused on the 
ownership part, meaning, oh, don't worry, hey, I'm going to take ownership of this. I'm going to, I, I made a mistake. Here's what I'm going to do to fix it. I'm sorry. It's my fault. Yeah. I always thought that that's just what they were talking about, but you're going ahead and applying other laws of combat to your marriage and making things happen. That's yeah. pretty legit. Yeah. I mean, and, you know, Amanda's the one that, you know, just recognized a lot of these, these shortfalls that we're having and would just, communicate it with me and she'd be like hey if you're upset with me over something i probably didn't mean to do that on purpose so just let me know that's a good point and so that's yeah. a simple yeah i know and so as far as us prioritizing things like we just you know and we still we need to get a, like an actual full-on detailed detailed game plan for what we're doing mm -hmm. but we realized what was important and what wasn't important and some of these certain things like the the things that truly weren't important like i don't think twice about it and she doesn't either and we just focus on our goals for her business my business raising our kids the right way trying to be involved in the church as much as possible trying to give back to others like those are our priorities not the stupid like well you said you're coming home at 10 but you stayed out drinking wine with your girlfriend until 11 who cares she came home to me she was relaxing with her girlfriends since i've been gone for three weeks for work like she should have stayed out all night and just relaxed you know what i mean like hey have a sleepover at your friend's house so you don't have to wake up to the kids three times during the night that's yeah. what i should have done you yeah. know and she's done the same with me you know like there's a couple of times where i'm just like super stressed out or whatever and she's like hey you know what do we need to do like what do you what do you need she's like you know what you need to go work out i'm like yeah but we need to go do this right now and she's like no what we need to do is you need to go work out and i can handle this that's awesome and it's just been awesome you know night and day like i think about it like dude she's such a hard worker you know and she runs everything and then she'll make sure she, i have a cup of coffee like on the nightstand like next to me in the morning so i wake up you know and it's just like you woke up early to go do that so now like i'll try to like do stuff for her or whatever and dude, it's, it's just a, one it's up, awesome one upsmanship yeah of, of kind acts right i don't know i hope my wife doesn't start that game with me <laughs> i'll lose <laughs> it's it's hard though with her because she is she's so thoughtful and crafty like all of a sudden like you know I don't know. She's, it's awesome. So life has been good. You know, it's really turned around. I mean, there's a real dark time. I'm not going to lie. Like there was, the divorce was rough, mm -hmm. you know, and there's some other times before that, that was real rough. You know, I was, I was drinking a lot, taking painkillers just because I had injuries, yeah. but I was like, Oh, well, I have an injury so I can take this painkiller. Oh, I can take two to three and drink at the same time. I was just trying to numb a lot of stuff that was going on, which is not the path to go. It's not the path at to go. all. You know, I wouldn't, and we know that. And, uh, you know, one of the things I'm, I mean, there's so many things I'm appreciative sure that Amanda helped me through, but I mean, when I went to the VA, cause I was having a real hard time sleeping and just uh, my body was all out of whack. Turns out I had like, my body wasn't producing testosterone anymore. I didn't know that. Right. Well, so I, I didn't know that, but so I go to the VA, I come home with like a bag of like, no kidding, like, eight different meds that they wanted me to start taking. Mm. And I was like, okay. So I take it first day. I'm like, Oh my God. Like she had to like get me out of bed for me to go to work. Cause I was like a zombie and it started. And then like the second day and then that stuff started to become really addicting. Mm -hmm. Like I wanted that like numb feeling. <laughs> and she was just like, you're not the same person. Like quick, like she recognized it. And uh, we got off. Like I was able to, in, I wasn't even on that stuff for like a full week and it was so hard for me not to take it. 
Damn. Like she had to straight up like help me detox. Like I'm not saying detox in a bad way. Like somebody who's like, yeah. But yeah. it was bad, you know. And she identified that right away. That's the thing. And it was just like, that. oh, I know. And it was just like, nope. Like we're flushing this. Like this is gone. Like we'll figure something else out. And she's always been the one to, you know, figure something else out and make make sure we you know work as a team on it. So it's been awesome, man. She's amazing. That is awesome. And where yeah. does this? Where does all this leave you right now? What do you got going on right now? So um, started my own company called Never Settle Consulting. You know, I did sales at a financial company for a while. Uh, a lot of good relationships. My sales team was awesome. Uh, but I wanted to do my own thing. Um, I wanted a little more fulfillment. It was taking. A, time away from me being able to do what I wanted to do to be able to grow and, you know, and spend more time with my family. Um, cause I had a second chance, you know, I had a second chance with Amanda and with my kids and I, I wanted to do something that fulfilled me that would help us grow. You know, so I started never settle consulting, <clears throat> teaching, uh, tactics, combatives and shooting to law enforcement, uh, trying to work out some stuff with some smaller military units and groups and, uh, for private civilian groups as well and uh, able to incorporate leadership and sales team building events into that, you know, just doing what I love, like what I'm, I'm decently good at, you know, as mm-hmm. well. And so I've had a couple of buddies who have said, Hey, I need a second instructor for this. Um, you know, so I helped teach a long range shooting course for NRA outdoors and then awesome. taught a carbine course for them as well. Um, so it's, it's been good, you know, it has ups and downs, you know, I've worked with a couple of clients that, I thought it was going to be a long-term thing and it didn't, but Hey, it's business. You're out on your own. You learn your lessons and you just keep moving forward. And you know, a lot of people are like, well, why, why never settle? Like, they're like, I get it. It's awesome. And I was like, well, I just miss being in the SEAL teams. You know, I miss being around guys that for the most part, legitimately did not settle with average or, you know, a mediocre lifestyle. Like yeah. you just, didn't happen you know you're always constantly driving and pushing each other to be better to be stronger to be faster to be smarter you know i remember multiple times like you would come in and be like hey have you ever heard of this website i'm like no you're like you need to start reading it every morning i'm like okay so i go in and i'd print off the articles and i'd read them and highlight them and chocolate later on he's like hey did you hear about this i'm like yeah actually blah, 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 blah. boom yeah and so you know i just miss being around that you know and that's not in the for the most part you don't find that in civilian life outside you know in business you don't and i really wanted to be able to have an impact like i want to work with veterans that have issues that are going through problems i want to give back to law enforcement you know because they have a hard job man and they're underfunded they're under trained and i just I, i wanted to give back you know and i enjoy that i like doing that stuff and it gives me freedom to be able to choose, you know, to help out with different projects and help people. And, you know, Amanda's been super supportive. And, you know, the the other logo of Never Settle is win the fight. No matter what, you just win the fight. And it's not a physical thing. It's life is a fight. We all go through our fights. We just have to establish what we want. Like you talk about, the commander's intent. Mm-hmm. Like if you don't have your own commander's intent for you and your family, you're screwed. <laughs> you're going to wander around and you're just going to waste your life away. And so I just, you know, and then underneath it's in Latin, you know, sign met to, which, which means without fear. You know, fear is the opposite of faith. Like you read about Mikey, you know. You know, fear, fear is no match for my faith. Mm-hmm. And I believe that. And I want others to believe that. And I don't think a lot of people out there believe that. And if we can paint that message and I would love, you know, for my company to be more of like a lifestyle, you know, 
And dude, some dude went and got my logo tattooed on his calf. Cause he's like, I want it to be a reminder. And he incorporated his kids' names into the tattoo. He's like, dude, it's a daily reminder for me not to settle for average and just get after it. And I'm like, all right, I'm doing something right, hopefully. Yeah. You know, awesome. and so Amanda's super supportive of it, you know, and she's just doing everything to help me out with it. And, you know, she has her business and she still takes the time to help me grow mine. So it's yeah. awesome, man. Just helping people figure out what they want in life. Like, cause I don't think a lot of people take the time to establish that. And, yeah. um, you know, I think if we can help that and if we can help veterans and if we can help the youth figure out what they want out of life and where they need to go, then I think, you know, we can actually make an impact in this nation. And that's important right now. Yeah, there's no doubt about that. And I guess that kind of brings us up to speed for this or up to present day <laughs> with with where JP's at right now been a pretty good chunk of time um so that's probably about good for tonight and obviously thanks for coming on the podcast i mean one of the one of the best things for me about this podcast is that there's heroes like you that people don't know about and there's heroes from the past that people don't know about and being able to bring heroes like yourself and heroes from the past to the present time and let people know and introduce that there's warriors in the past you need to know about and there's warriors walking with us today that you need to know about and that's one of my favorite things about the podcast is having the opportunity to do that and if if you like listening to this podcast well guess what I believe Echo Charles can tell you how to support the podcast. I have a question. Oh, man. Here uh, we go. Hot seat. Why, why are you going to flank me like that? Oh, I remember. Um, actually, the day I met you a long time ago, before I actually knew you real good. Mm-hmm. Um, you know me real good now? Is that the yeah, deal? I think oh, so. oh, dang. Yeah. <laughs> but, like, you, you always, <clears throat> and actually listening to you now, like, you kind of, I kind of realize, like, you live in the moment a lot. Yeah. Yes. Like, I remember we were sitting at this when we had sushi that night. Yeah. The first night I met you. Like, what, when was that? Like, oh, seven or something. 2007. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I remember you, and you had another guy with you. I but, forget. Yeah, my buddy, uh, um, Kurt. Yeah. Yeah. And I remember um, we're all talking, but, you know, everyone's yeah. talking. And I hear you kind of on the side, you're like, like this is good, man, you know? Eating sushi with good people. You know, we're we're doing so you know, kinda like you're totally it's like you're explaining to him, but you're yeah. explaining to yourself like what what am I experiencing right now? Yeah. And how good is this? How yeah. cool is this? Yeah. You know? Almost like you had this stuff coming up and you're but you're living in that moment. Yeah, right? Just like just like with the stories with them. Mm-hmm. Like uh, you mentioned like the and you saw the ambient light coming down. This is awesome, this is awesome, you yeah. know. Why like why is that, do you think? Or I mean, is there a specific reason do you think? Because a lot of people not like that. You know um, how like they'll be like, oh, we're about to do this. I'm excited. Or that thing happened and that's that's whack or whatever. Yeah. And they don't really, you know what I mean? I've always been like that. Um, you know, my parents taught us just to enjoy what you have. You mm-hmm. know, it, it doesn't have to be material stuff. Just enjoy the life that you have. And I've also always realized that people have it a lot worse. And then after two deployments, you know, because I met you after my second deployment, like I'd seen the worst. I'd, I'd seen evil firsthand. I'd seen actual oppression, not what some of these idiots are talking about right now. You know, yeah. I'd seen, you know, kids with underwear on and sandals in the streets, and that's all they had. Mm. And I've seen, you know, 
women holding their kids crying. You know, I've seen guys use kids as human shields because they're cowards. And I'm getting to sit and enjoy sushi in San Diego, California with my best friend, Curtis from high school and a new group of guys that I met, you know, through other team guys. And I'm like, man, life is good. Mm-hmm. You know we were I mean? with the cake nuts, by the way. Oh, cake nuts makes yeah. another appearance <laughs> on the Jungle podcast. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Solid dude. I think he tried to rip a tree out of the ground once, right? <laughs> Probably. No, know. he did. <laughs> Someone convinced him that he, could, he couldn't pull a tree out of the ground, so he tried. Yeah, Jeremy probably tried to convince him that. I think you're right on that. that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Also, the second thing, what um, did they find out why you you were you had like you weren't pr- producing testosterone? Yeah, um, just the, the pituitary gland, um, the sac around my pituitary gland was damaged and destroyed pretty bad from the from the blast or something or from yeah from from that blast and just multiple other like explosions and blasts overseas. I mean, we yeah. use breaching charges to open up doors. You know, when you're in a gunfight and the machine gun is legitimately going off yeah. right next to your head that's providing like cushion that there's times after gunfights like i felt like i was just drunk yeah and i felt like i was drunk just because i was just out of it and so just that much and then just combat sports and other stuff like that and so um you know when amanda finally got me to go to the va to get my my levels tested you know normal male were supposed to be between 600 to 900 uh i was 81 yeah it was bad and they were just like how like they called i didn't answer my phone because i was at work and i was on the line or something like that and they called amanda like he needs to come back in right away so of course they freak my wife out right Mm. she thinks i'm dying or something like that like Mm -hmm. and then so i go and i they get it retested again it was 87 and they're like are you on steroids right now i'm like look at me (laughs) look like i'm on steroids now granted like when i was younger you know i'd taken some real strong supplements from like max muscle and different places like that that had them available and i'm sure that might have had an effect but you know i don't know no i mean i I know well you know like i try to like get you know so own up to some of the mistakes you know because jocker used to joke he's like jp just wants to be 205 pounds walking around yeah nothing wrong with that well now i wish i could get down to two <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. you know um so yeah my levels were really messed up and they're like how do you even get out of bed how do you do this and this i'm like um well i have a family i have to provide for i really don't have another option so just gotta get out there and get after it we but. call that btf just BTF and throughout the day. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. crazy. And that's an, another part, remember how we talk about where that's the part that you don't really hear that much about, just those little details. Like uh, you say in a gunfight, if yeah. the machine gun is right here and it, and it hits you, yeah. kind of like someone's hitting you physically, uh, you know? Yeah. No, it's, it's it's a shock to your system. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I've been, uh, I was actually going through some videos and I'll try to get you guys some of these the other day where I'm laying down on the sniper rifle and we're in a big firefight and they come and straddle over me to start firing off rockets and i'm getting that blast coming down just crushing me Damn. you know and then the, then mikey you know right next to me the a-dub gunner he's like ah i'm just like oh my goodness i'm gonna like need coloring crayons for christmas next year or something like yeah man. by the way when you fire a rocket in training you put on two levels of ear protection i had yeah. none <laughs> You, yeah, don't, you don't need ear pro in combat. Your ears naturally squeeze. It's pretty awesome. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I remember um, 
Oh, one of my friends who went, who's, who went through sniper school too. He'd talk about the, um, I think it was like a, the, the 50 cal. The yeah, 50 cal. Yeah, yeah. He's like, bro, that thing is like just shooting it is like you're getting punched in the face. Oh, it just is. Just shooting it. Yeah. Well, I mean, considering we mount those to the tops of Hummers, yeah. and if you don't have your foot on the brake and it's in park, <laughs> it'll move the vehicle. <laughs> and even wow. that, and you see a vehicle going, like yeah. just moving, like, and. You know, I was also a lead driver. So there's times where the machine, like 50 cal is right over us in the front. Like the barrel's like sticking out and you're getting that blast. And you're like, oh, I mean, it's just, but it's part of it. You know what I mean? Like yeah. I would not change any of that. Yeah. It's for crazy anything. how like those details, like to, to someone who hasn't been, that's kind of a big deal. Cause you watch movies and the guy's shooting and the guy's yeah. reaching across the guy shooting the guy in the street corner and all this stuff. And then if you know those details, you're like, whoa, whoa, you, you skipped over this whole big kind of element of this situation yeah you know? yeah and i just so much respect you know the guys that are still on the teams you know i just did under 12 years in the navy i didn't you know i didn't do my full time and you look at these guys that do 20 22 25 years like i'm just like dude hats off to those guys you know and like yeah. the guys that are still some of the same guys that i deployed with you know it's weird me talking about it like i did anything special like as a team, we did something special. Yeah. And those guys are still in the fight. You know, they're still deploying. They're still doing workups. You know, they're battling divorces. They're, you know, dealing with new babies being born and, you know, taking care of their wives and, you know, family. And it's just, like, just so much respect to those guys. And, uh, and you know, you look at the, all, all the other branches that we served with. And mm -hmm. those guys just, dude, 18-month deployments. 18-month deployments. Oh, 15-month hey, deployments. You get to go home for two weeks halfway through. Yep. Guys are going home to like their families moved Just, out. Yeah, destroyed. Like gone. Like have not no all idea. time, but I mean, right, some, right, you, know, happens. you know, you, you hear that. You, I mean, a couple guys came home and they came back and from on leave, and I was like, hey, "How was it?" He's like, "Well, my wife and kids are gone. I don't know where any of my stuff is." I'm like, "So jacked up." Do you want a hug? I don't know what to do. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's it is. You know, JP and I were talking about that earlier. Like. We're visible. Well, I'm definitely visible. Mm -hmm. And I was telling JP, like, you will now be visible, more <laughs> visible. I mean, he's he's been maintained a pretty low profile. And, Tried uh, to. Yeah, because if your fighting has a little bit of profile, but, um, like, you know, you're going to be more visible. And when you get visible, people automatically think that you're special in some way. Mm -hmm. And, like, I'm telling you, there's nothing special here. No. Definitely not for me. Because... No. You know, like like I, I did twenty years in the Navy, but okay, great. There's guys that do thirty years. There's guys that do fourteen different deployments. There's guys that you know get wounded, and then you like JP just said, you branch that out to all the services, yeah. and you know I'm another guy, and and we're just other guys. Where we have a little bit of a of a higher profile, but that's not due to our you know anything special that we did. Just, just with the way things shook out in the end. So I always want to make that clear. And, and like law enforcement, they're doing it every day. Like every my day. uncle, yeah. I was telling you about like yep. every day. Now we do a workup and then we just go get after it for six months and come home to work up, go get after it. But yep. he's like legitimately getting after it every day for 15 plus yeah. years. It's and you're a, like, it's a 23 year deployment. Yeah. To a combat zone. Yeah. With limited resources, limited support and limited the training, limited training and, in a, and a, a hostile environment on yeah. both the criminal side and actually oftentimes on the civil side yeah. of people that are you know lashing out at, at police officers from that whole other angle now. So yeah, it's unfortunate. 
You done with your questions, Mr. Charles? Uh, for now, yeah. Okay. But I, I do have good news, though. You do? My krill oil came in. Oh, got that krill oil. Right, that's good news. That is good news. Right. We are happy about that. You uh, you take krill oil? I take shark cartilage. Shark cartilage. Is that the same thing? No. No, that's like what? Glucose, glucosamine? No, it's good for your joints. Joint. My, my dad got me on it, but I'll... I'll I'll get on what you guys have. I'll give it a run. Yeah. If you do or when you do on it, it's the best one. Okay. Well, done. is that the best one? It's the best one. It's straight up the best one. Everyone knows that. Or just most, to, just, most people know. How do I get it? Where do I go? <laughs> you go to onit.com. Okay. But if you're down to support the podcast, yeah. which I know you are because you're here, yeah. go onit.com slash Jocko oh. and support your wallet 10% off. Boom. Dude, savings and the best. <laughs> Boom. Get some. <laughs> Someone asked me, uh, this was uh, not yesterday, day before. Like, they were like, hey, I know, I know, you know, you guys are down with on it and all that stuff, but hey, is that the only supplements you take for real? I was like, yeah, that is. <laughs> Krill oil, alpha brain sometimes, shroom tech. Mm-hmm. Worry bars too, but I don't know if that's a supplement. Anyway. Dude, those are so good. It yeah. definitely supplements your your your, your need food for intake. Food. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, big time. Tasty. But yeah, you can support that way if you're in the mood to. Also, the Amazon. If you, this kind of, so I was trying to analyze the whole Amazon thing. Like, how, how does that kind of fit in the whole, I mean, we kind of know how, but okay, so you click through when you do your shopping on Amazon, you click through before you do your shopping. Click through the website, uh, jockopodcast.com or jockostore.com. So, boom, you support that way. But so, how does this fit in, right? So, it's kind of like, okay, we're here putting out this message. Right, and people who like click through or they buy shirts or something like that, they're kind of like the backup, kind of like the reinforcement, you know. They're actually the full-on supporting mechanism. Never mind the backup. Yeah. So like, okay. They're, yeah, on back the, in, they're on the field. Right. They're right. On the battlefield. So with backup us. is that's a bad one. That's like they're like the reinforcement. You know. They're the full-on support mechanism. They're the enforcement. Yes, the Straight enforcement. Up. Yes, very good. Very yeah. good. Like that. Um, and uh, yeah, man. So so am- the Amazon click through that's a good one. Good way to support this podcast, you boy. Um, and of course, subscribe, right? Yes. Yeah, I used it. Yeah, you did I, use I, it. I used so it. I should. I'm getting asked this a lot, right? And, yeah. And I'm not. I, I'm just gonna lay it out there. So podcast, you boy. Where does that come from? <laughs> uh, yeah. It's a really quick story. Here's where it comes from. Mm-hmm. There's a guy whose name is Henach Larange. Henato Laranja. For, just for clarity. Okay, for know. clarity. But yeah. those of us that speak with a fake Portuguese accent from time to time would just say Henach. Right, right. Yeah, that's the real So, anyways, um, there's a, uh, a video production company called Flixpoint Videos, which is, which is Echo Charles's company. And they did a series that starred this Brazilian Jiu Jitsu master, Henach Laranja. And my son actually was very into the Hanach program and there in in being into the program he started to adapt his own fake Brazilian <laughs> Portuguese accent yes and since he speaks no Portuguese whatsoever he just simply does the the pigeon of it and and he adds words or or Parts to words that he thinks in his mind sound like they might be right, Portuguese. Correct. Yep. So one day he said to me in a broken, imitated, fake Portuguese accent, he said, Dad, 
Are you going to record that podcast you boha? <laughs> and I said, yes, I am. And then that is where it came from. It doesn't mean anything. It doesn't have any spelling. It's just my 13-year-old son with his comedic um, vibe going mm-hmm. on. Yeah, so he, and so but he where he how he got that from or what he got that from is podcast that's like the just right. podcast that's podcast and then poha and boa this two things right right poha is like poha is like this expression it's like it, it means something specific but it's it's ultimately it's an expression but of ultimately like, oh, let's be clear here it's also a very bad word yes yes, yes. it's it's like the worst swear word <laughs> I don't is it think the, worst? It's the worst it's a very it, bad swear we'll word bad, yeah in portuguese yeah that, that's poha poha yeah it's like slang it's it's a mix yeah so there's that then there's boa which means which good boa means good the right? exact opposite. so you know your son's thing i don't know if it was poha or boa i'm assuming poha because henato says poha all the time yeah so that's he what also he says did boa from time to time yeah and my son when he says it is podcast chi boa yeah so yeah. i'm not 100 percent sure yeah, yeah. but that's where it came from yeah when we're gonna listen to that podcast boa <laughs> right here yeah that's what we're gonna yeah. do. That's crazy what our kids say. Yes, mm. indeed. And still, when you think of it, that's still kind of a, an ambiguous explanation, really. So, where does that leave us? You know, like, it, okay, so what does it mean? <laughs> it does, I know. The thing is, is meaningless. Yeah. Although, I guess it does mean that we're talking about this particular mm-hmm. podcast, your boy. Yeah, and we're excited about it. <laughs> yes, we are. And there we it are. is. Boom. <laughs> so, back to the support thing. Um. You know, subscribe if you haven't already. That's a good way to stay in the game. You know, when the new one comes out, it just boom on your phone. Boom. Listen, ready. I know I am. You know, me too. And, you know, I'm on it. YouTube channel video coming out. I think I'm going to do a, a more of a comedy video. See how that goes over. Well, it won't go over well with me, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Hey, we've got the, the the heavy podcast and everybody loves it and let's get after it and let's crush people and let's do the darkness and you're going to do a comedy video? Is that where we're going with this? Yeah. All right. Just man. to see how it goes over. We'll trust that judgment, I guess. Yeah. We'll let the troopers decide on that one. Yeah. Also, Jocko Store. That's where, uh, you know, we, we slang these shirts. Um, but it's less about selling shirts. It's more about, hey, if you want to support the podcast, you want to wear a cool shirt. With multiple layers, by the way. I talk about the layers, but let's just say... I don't want to go into a big thing about the layers. Please but, don't. But there's more to it than just the saying, you know, discipline equals freedom. What does that even mean? It sounds cool. What does that mean? Anyway, there's a meaning. Darkness, there's a meaning. And um, all the shirts have, have a cool What's meaning. the meaning behind the t-shirt that says... The one that you're wearing that just says Jocko Podcast. That's just the meaning. Well, if you look on right. the back, you can see the meaning. Oh, there you go. See, what are you gonna find him? That, that's the, the layers I'm talking about. Yeah. Anyway, women's stuff coming out. Tank tops are already out, but the women's t-shirts are coming out as well. Just kind of give all the girls or the women then a small update. Some girls with some women were at the muster. Mm, they certainly asking were. about some stuff. I told enforce. Yep, they're enforcing. Enforce. Um, got some new patches. The two, the three by two. That so they they can fit on the you know the standard Velcro situation. And I think, and there's like a tan color, right? It's like the official kind yeah, of color that sometimes for, you can't. For the troopers that are going out into well, the I, desert. I believe that's FDE, Federal Dark Earth. Yeah. Good, because I was trying to Google that and find out, and yeah. there's a bunch of them. Yeah, so F- FDE. FDE. 
Okay. So I got the new SIG 320 in. So sick. <laughs> and I, of course, I had to get one for Amanda. <laughs> so we course. each have uh, a yeah. SIG 320 compact FDE. FDE. Nice. Yeah. Dang. Actually, that was, that's coincidentally really helpful. I was looking for a long time for that. Awesome. My man. Yeah. Uh, rash guards are good, too. Uh, look at them multiple layers, like I said. Just trust me on that. And that, those are the ways to support if you're in the mood You can support. also support the podcast by buying some Jocko White tea. Yes. If you want to just improve every single aspect of your life. <laughs> uh, no, if you, if you want to get some tea, you can get it. If you don't think you like tea, you probably will like this tea because even though it's technically tea, it doesn't actually even taste like tea. It it, it, it tastes like a nectar that you need to try. <laughs> yeah. I can't explain it. There's I just agree no with words. that. I agree no with that. I had it last it. couple days yeah. at uh, the muster and man, that was awesome. It's tasty. And plus, as we know from the Amazon reviews, it 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 is added. There's a guy who deadlift went from 400 pounds to 8,000 pounds. Mm-hmm. So that's a 7,600 pound increase Legit in, your, in, right your, in your deadlift. Oh. And so that's right there. Again, that's good to go. So get yourself some, <laughs> some Amazon tea. Also, when you're on Amazon, you can pick up, you can get yourself a copy of a, a book called Extreme Ownership that I wrote with my brother Leif Babin. And the thing is, if you have a copy, that's cool. Get a couple more. You want to have them on standby because sometimes you're just you're just dealing with someone at work, and all of a sudden you realize that they're not taking ownership of something. It's no problem. You're not you're not stressing out. Yep. You just reach in your desk, you grab a copy, you go, "Hey, wanted you to take a quick look at this right here." Yep. Up the chain of command, down the chain of command. Now, when you do that, not only you're going to make their life better because they're going to be able to figure some stuff out, you're also going to make your life easier because now your surrounding personnel are in the game. And you're taking extreme ownership in and of it to that action. Because remember, you know how like a lot of people, that's the question. That is deep. No, because that's the question people out there be like, hey, what do I do when my colleague is not taking extreme ownership? You're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. See, just the the mere nature of you saying, hey, you're not taking extreme ownership. That's you not taking extreme ownership. So, you own so now you, you're only you're saying, hey, I recognize this situation of you doing and not doing certain things. Let me take action. What can I do to take extreme ownership over this situation? But it's true. That it's, is true. Yeah, that is absolutely. true. Also, you know, as you are on Amazon, just just nod your head a little bit and say thanks to Brady Lanter, Brady mm-hmm. Trooper, who has been the backside support mm-hmm. to the podcast. Shiboha. With all kinds of stuff. So shout out to Brady for getting after it. Technically, he's getting after it technically. Technically, yeah. Technically and technically. Now, you just talked about the muster, too. We just had the muster in San Diego, California. Um, It was freaking awesome. Yes. It was was really cool. We had a bunch of people there. The the guy that helped run the event named Matt, Matt. um, he's been running events for 20-something years. And he, and he came up to me two hours into the event. You know, this is after people were PTing at 4.45 in the morning. This is after everyone was in their seats at 0800, ready, standing by to get after it. No stragglers. Yep. Like, like when I say no stragglers, I mean no stragglers, zero. 
350 people, boom, in their seats, ready to rock and roll. He came up to me during the first little break, and he says, I, I've actually never seen anything like this where an entire <laughs> conference is so just on board in the game and getting after it. He said, I've never seen this in any kind of conference. Thanks. So, <sighs> major problem. And, it, okay, I come down. The schedule says, hey, uh, hey Echo, film some stuff, right? Mm-hmm. That's you mm-hmm. know, kind of stuff. the loose order. Commander's intent. I look at the schedule. <laughs> hey, four, optional. Optional 4.45 workout AM. Okay, I'm going to be honest. I'm not used to the 4.45 AM. It's cool. Don't get it wrong. But uh, I'm not just not used to 4.45 filming Working, workouts, whatever. Being awake. So I'm like, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go. I'm going to show up on time. I'm going to show up ahead of time. But really, though, optional, really, first day, let's face it, how many people are really going to be at this thing? Maybe 25, I'm 30. thinking and people 10 are traveling. to 20. You yeah. know what I mean? And yeah. We, we had guys from the U.K., you know, five different countries were represented, uh, 42 different states. Like, it was insane. Yeah, so people they, are all the, over. Yeah, there's like, issues. There's no way. I was like, I was even, I'm not a morning person like you. Like, I'm usually the guy that's up until two or three working on right. stuff. Yeah. So I was like, oh, I got to get up. I was like, dude, I'm here with Jock on Life and Echo. I've got to get after it. I was like, I'm going to be pissed if there's like five people out there. Yeah. I'm thinking 10, 20 would be solid. Boy, I pull around. I'm ahead of time, by the way. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm pulling up at like 428, you know, 429. I come around the corner and I see a straight up riot. Like, not, not rioting, yeah. but like the, the type of crowd of that's like in a, in a protest or something. <laughs> guys stretching, you know, I'm like, dang. So I go at a park, like on the side, I come. And you guys already had worked out already. Yeah, yeah. So what, Bro, what, people what Leif were and I ready. did. Yeah, what Leif and I did was we went, I said, hey, Leif, we might get. Contingency is. There's a, a, 150 people. We're not going to be able to direct this thing if we're doing it. Right. We need to get in leadership position. So we need to go work out before the 0445 muster, uh, workout. We need to go work out before that. Optional, by the way. So we went and hit it before. And it's a, it was a pretty hardcore workout. It was one of those workouts where it can suck as much as you want it to suck. And, yeah. of course, we want it to suck Pushing bad. It. So we, we're dripping with sweat. We come walking over, and it's the same thing for us. We are walking back from the workout area, which was down by the San Diego Convention Center. We're walking back to the hotel. We're in a little jog. We turn the corner. Now we're really close, so we start walking, and we see the same thing. We see, like, all these people. And <laughs> and it, it was, you know, 250 or 300 people are ready to rock and roll at 4. It's it's only 428, right? Sun's not even up. It's oh, nighttime. The sun's it's not me, even it's thinking about coming up. Yeah, yeah. It's straight up nighttime. Yeah. So we got after it. And that was a good representation of the attitude that was at the muster. Right. And the other funny thing was people kept, when people would ask questions, they'd say, oh, I just got promoted in this new position and this is going on. And then someone yeah. else would say, you know, I just got promoted three times in the last <laughs> six months and yeah. I want to know. And so you're thinking, okay, all these people are just fast track. They're in the game. They're on it. It's just, uh, it, was, it was it was really an awesome event. Great mm-hmm. job with the uh, the video. Uh, Echo Charles made some, some really killer videos for that and it, it was awesome. Those videos were awesome. Like yeah. very captivating. You know, me sitting there in the crowd yeah it was just like there's a couple times i had to get up you know the first day i stood in the back or sat in the back and i had to get up and i'd pace because i was just like so connected it just brought me back you know Mm -hmm. or just emotional connection and then 
you know, everyone else at the same thing. And the yep. second day I'm sitting up there in the front row and I was like, I can't stand up and pace right now. But just everyone, you just watching other people and it's just, dude, great job. Those videos were insane, man. Thanks. You were in one of those. I know. I had the, uh, <laughs> I had the, the doctor's mask on, so nobody recognized yeah, me. Yeah, on the yeah, that's deal. Right, that's right. Yeah. Somebody asked me about it, though. They're like, um, pretty blonde and the guy holding twins, yep. babies. I'm like, yeah, that was Yeah, me. that's right. <laughs> that's <laughs> right. That's the Rough Transitions video. Yeah. Yeah, so the Rough Transition video that Echo made is um, the, the person holding the baby. The babies. babies. The babies. The twins, yeah. Yeah. That's, that's JP that's right JP. there. So there's a little layer right there, isn't there? Yeah, all a little of a sudden. Now thing. that's what you're talking about. Yeah, the, if you're if you're kind of on the inside, you're gonna see them and you're gonna recognize them. That's yeah. I think the fun part, one of the many fun parts. Awesome. And a also, so if you like what we're talking about here, and you want to continue, maybe you didn't get enough of this today. You want to keep talking to us. You can actually just find us cruising, cruising hard, cruising hard <laughs> apparently, on the interwebs. <laughs> on Twitter, on Instagram, and you know we even on that Facebooky. <laughs> Echo is at Echo Charles, and I am at Jocko Willink, and Jeremiah J.P. Donnell is at, where you at? On Twitter, J.P., or at J.P. Donnell. Uh, Instagram would be Never Settle Consulting, and Facebook page, Never Settle Consulting, LLC. So if you like the page, uh, able to put out any up, upcoming events or anything that's going on, just try to connect with people through social media. Awesome. Dig it. Echo, any final thoughts from you? I don't. Really good to see you again, man. Awesome. I mean, we've yeah. kept in touch. You yeah, know, yeah, online and stuff was cool, yeah. but man, yeah, yeah, really good to see you again. Awesome. Oh, if you go to neversettleconsulting.com, mm -hmm. that'll be up in the near future as well. But cool. you, know, you can contact me through the social media, uh, yeah. but the website will be up and running soon. But yeah, Very but yeah, lovely. it's great seeing you again, bro. Like coming out here, I was like, you know, just you know, I got the call from Jocko. You know, I, um, you know, turned down a couple of different gigs or you know, switched some work around. I was like, dude, I gotta get out of here. Yeah, like, yeah. You know, and Amanda was like, yeah, you, yeah, don't be an idiot. You're going. <laughs> you know, yeah. we'll find a way. And mm -hmm. uh, it was awesome. You know, able to work it out and. I want to be on the podcast. You know, I just appreciate you guys having me out here, man. Of course, it's awesome. Man. You got any final thoughts? Yeah. Um, obviously, I just want to thank um, all the troops overseas, uh, all the troops that are home, uh, the family members of the troops that never made it back. We appreciate you guys. Uh, all the law enforcement officers out there, firefighters, medics, you guys are getting after it, serving your community every day. And, of course, I want to thank Amanda um, just for her continued support and love. And uh, my kids, you know, love those kids. Um, I look forward to the day where they're old enough where they can actually listen and process this. So Aiden, Cora, Nola, I love you guys. And, um, yeah, it's awesome. Well, thanks for coming on. Appreciate it. Obviously. Thank you. And thanks for everything you've ever done for me, brother. <laughs> I appreciate that. Above and beyond anything I could have ever hoped for the kind of performance and the kind of the kind of attitude and the the bravery and the courage. Always, thank you. Thank you. Always, thank you. And you know, the other day when we were at the muster, we were in that big crowd, and we had kind of we kind of turned the corner, and we were getting to the area where we were going to start the the workout thing, mm -hmm. and I knew I saw. 
I assessed real quick and I said, right, I'm going to need some help getting some organization stuff going on here. And we really didn't have a plan for 300 people, right? <laughs> we had a plan for 30 or 40 people. Yeah. Way different. And so I'm sitting there and I'm going into, okay, what am I going to do? Got to prioritize and execute. I need some help. And it's just dark, you know, dark four o'clock in the morning. So I just yell out. I go, JP. And instantly I hear some distance away. I hear, yes, sir. <laughs> and I look up where that came from and I see JP and he like made quick eye contact with me. I see him moving, you know, down the stairs. He's coming to me. And in, in that split second, that split second, I remembered all the times that I had called your name and I had asked you to do what needed to be done. And you always stepped up without question, without without regard for your safety or for your own security. You always stepped up just with your the mission and the team and your brothers in mind. Always putting others before yourself like so many others in our task unit did. Like Mark and Mikey and Ryan. And like the many soldiers and Marines did in the Battle of Ramadi and in the rest of Iraq and in Afghanistan and on battlefields all over the world throughout history. Putting others before themselves with their heads held high. And to everyone else that is out there listening, think about that. Think about putting the mission before your own needs. Think about putting others before yourself. And think about walking through the world with all the threats and challenges in front of you. Think about walking through the daily battles that you face with your back straight and your head held high facing the threat facing the fear scanning for what is next so you can engage and get after it so until next time this is Echo and Jocko and my brother JP Dinell.